What's going on everybody, it's your boy Jordan And this is Desmond And welcome to episode 141 of Two Black Nerds yeah. That's right, it's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and our takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok At Two Black Nerds, we appreciate that, love y'all And let's not forget to mention, we have merchandise that's available now at twoblacknerds.com go check out our nerds of thunder collection inspired by thor love and thunder we got t-shirts crew neck hoodie stickers mugs and tote bags so go ahead and place those orders right now on today's show we'll be reviewing episode three of the game of thrones prequel house of the dragon also we have some new films to discuss including honk for jesus save your soul and samaritan plus we'll share our predictions from what we can expect to see from marvel studios at the upcoming d23 expo but before we get to any and all of that we're kicking off this week's podcast with the review of the Lord of the Rings prequel, The Rings of Power. My brother gave his life hunting the enemy. His task is now mine. Speak your truth. Stand with me. Ours was no chance meeting. Not fate. Nor destiny. Ours was the work of something greater. Each of us. Every one must decide who we shall be. I am not the hero you seek. Whatever it was you did, be free of it. One day this will be your kingdom. Raise your sail and then let go. Choose not the path of fear. Out of faith. One thing we can do, better than any creature in all Middle Earth, we stay true to each other with our hearts even bigger in our feet. I can survive this. Wait! No! We keep moving! Why do you keep fighting? There is a tempest in me! You have fought long enough, Galadriel. Put up your sword. Without it, what am I to be?
Now, this series is developed by showrunners J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. Episodes 1 and 2 are directed by J.A. Bayona, and it's starring a very, very, very large ensemble cast, so I will actually refrain from naming off every single cast member because there's just so many people. But we just <laughs> got the first two episodes that premiered this past week on Amazon Prime Video. Obviously, this is a hugely anticipated series that's been talked about for years and years and years. Five years ago, Amazon actually acquired the rights to the Lord of the Rings franchise to be able to make this series, and so it's taken quite quite a while to actually get it to screens and get it through development. But now something that we've been waiting on for quite a long time, especially since the top of the year when we first saw that Super Bowl trailer that debuted about eight months ago, something we've certainly been expecting and excited to see. And so we got these first two episodes this past week. We both got a chance to check them out. We're going to talk about them, give our general thoughts, but then we're going to have a little bit of a larger conversation about what this series means and just also how it fits into the current landscape of television streaming series. But before we get to that, I want to just pass it over to you briefly to get your high level general thoughts about the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. I was so excited for the show that I ended up watching all six discs, <laughs> extended editions of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy, man. Um, it is just one of those 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 pieces, I think, in, in, in film history and in my life that has just always been important um, to me and my family, actually. That was like a thing me and my cousins did. It was X-Men movies and Lord of the Rings movies. That's just the thing that we did that we all went to go see together. And so when I heard about Rings of Power and this, of course, massive budget that we'll talk about later, I had to be excited to 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 enter the the realm of Middle Earth again, man, to figure out what the prequel, this prequel was going to look like. And I have to say, so far, I am I'm I'm pretty happy with what's going on. I've been hearing a lot of discourse about the show, but for me, for no reason, it's just a big ass fun fantasy adventure that is beautiful at the moment. Um and I think it has a ton of potential going into a couple of these future weeks uh, uh, of what the show has to bring us. Of course, we got the first two episodes. Um, and I think, you know, there's enough in it to both make me satisfied with Lord of the Ringdom, I guess I'll, I'll call it this. It, they did a good job of, of connecting that world already, right? Um, in ways i was like oh okay i know who that is oh i know who this is too this is really cool i know these characters and to see them you know so early in this world was was is really cool for me but also i think it's done enough to raise enough mystery and questions to be like what the hell is going on here and i'm really intrigued actually by the end of uh, uh really the second episode to, to figure out you know what, what's happened i think that's a good uh sign in terms of what a show has to offer when you're intrigued and you want that next episode. And that's kind of how I felt. Um, I, I think by the end of it, I can't say that it's like reaching the world of Peter Jackson. Right. Uh, I, I think they have a different task with taking a movie and turning it into a TV show. Right. Where those movies, they didn't care about how long them, them things were, where they, they, they have to kind of think here, I think a little bit differently about the tone in which, this this tv show exists and so i i can see some of that stuff there them them finding their footing um even not even just for them though for the viewer for me it's taking me a second to be like okay this is a tv show desmond this is not the two towers this is a tv show this is not the two towers um and that's something i have to think think about as i watch it and so um i think i'll get over that stuff pretty quickly uh because again so far man again uh, i'm just happy to be here it's fantasy that's what I'm getting so far. It's fun. That's what I'm getting so far. It's beautiful. That's what they promised us so far. So 
I really don't have a lot of complaints yet. We'll see what happens in these upcoming episodes if they can keep the steam. But I'm okay right now, man. I'm I'm, I'm having a decent time. Certainly in the early stages. So it should be said that this is obviously just reflecting on the first two episodes that we got, which was more than I think what we initially expected to get. They were initially promising us one episode, but the decision to actually give us two, I thought was quite smart because after watching these two back to back on the same night on premiere night, when they, when they dropped this past Thursday, I was left wanting more just because I just to get straight into it and be honest about it. I found the first episode to not really capture my attention or my imagination. The prologue in the first episode is actually pretty incredible. It's actually really, really striking what they do. It immediately immerses you back into the world of Middle Earth. And this has an incredibly difficult challenge of winning people back over because the Lord of the Rings are not only some of the most beloved films that we've ever gotten with that initial trilogy from Peter Jackson, but also some of the best-selling and most beloved books ever written and hugely inspirational. So this is adapting material that has been in public consciousness for the better part of 60, 70, maybe even 80 years at this point. I can't remember exactly, but there was always going to be a tall task. And so the pressure was on. And after watching that first episode, I was quite worried because after the prologue had concluded, just to be honest, I found it to be a bit of a dull episode. I wasn't all that interested in what was happening. I think that there were definitely some missteps in terms of characters and the way that they were written. I didn't find them all all that interesting. I thought once you get beyond the beauty and the gorgeous nature of everything that you're seeing, obviously this has massive, massive production value behind it. I, I just found it to be quite uninspired for the most part, and I was really, really let down by that. I will say that the second episode certainly turns it around in a pretty big way. The second episode, to me, was much, much better than the first episode that we got because I felt that the pacing was better. Some of the character moments that we got were more interesting, and even the action I was actually more invested in. I thought that there were a couple of really good action set pieces in that second episode. It wasn't a complete save for me. I still walked away after the second one like, I don't really know how to feel, and and I'm just kind of wondering where this show's going to go, and there's a lot that, we, that we're going to talk about here and how this may affect the quality of the show in terms of the story, but also just how it all plays out for Amazon's larger streaming strategy moving ahead. But so far, I say it's 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 fine. It's okay. I wanted to love these first two episodes. Like I wanted to, I wanted it to immediately grab me from the top, and it didn't do that for me. That being said, there's still a lot of time here. There's still six more episodes that we're gonna get. So there's plenty of opportunity left for there to be, for me personally, some course correction, some opportunity for it to actually capture my imagination in the way that I wanted to. The caveat to that is, is that I'm not really in the space where I think it should take that long to get my investment. I think a show, yeah. if it's good enough, it should immediately grab you. If, if, it's, if, it's, if it's well done, if the script is there, if the characters are there, then it should immediately grab you. And yeah. I'm not there quite yet with this show, but obviously I'm in for the ride. I'm going to keep watching. I do want to see how this all plays out. And this is a huge, huge investment on Amazon part. This is a massive gamble for what they have on the table here. We know that they bought the television rights all the way back in November of 2017 for $250 million. That was just to make this. It wasn't even any production. It was just to have the rights to be able to make this. Then they entered into a five-season production commitment that was estimated to be worth $1 billion, and that was between the Tolkien Estate and Prime Video. So already we're talking about the most expensive television series ever produced, and, and really the most expensive entertainment anything ever produced, if we're being honest about it. Yeah. And reports came out about a year ago when they were filming that 
just for the first season alone. They spent about $465 million, mm. which if you look at the budget for the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy directed by Peter Jackson, that only came out to $281 million. You adjust that for inflation, that would change now, obviously. But right. for those three movies put together, that was a, a hefty budget. But now we're talking 465 for one season because they had to build a lot of these sets. They had to create mm-hmm. the costumes. A lot of this was from the ground up, right? And so this is just a giant enormous investment there's never been anything really like this especially in the television landscape and i think it's clear that you can see it in these first two episodes you see the money spent the vistas the landscapes the worlds that they've created the visual effects we 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 got a report from variety that said that they use 20 different vfx studios over 1500 artists there's nearly 10,000 visual effects shots in this first season alone i mean this is absolutely gargantuan what do you make of just the the enormous production scale of this and how it looks and how it came across screen? And then the more important question that I would actually have for you is that do you think that that's enough? Do you think that the large production value here is enough to keep people around or are they going to need more from a story perspective, from a character perspective to get people to stick with the series? You know, I, I think it really just depends. But I'll say here. Man, this this it it really is a skeptical man. There and this is only the first two episodes, and I can still feel even though I've, we've seen some beautiful stuff already. It's like oh my god, this looks crazy. I still know and feel feel deep down that later on in the season we're going to see some even crazier things. Right? It's only episode one and episode two, so I know they're holding on to some ridiculous budget things. You know that they they have coming up soon. I will say. First of all, we know that story is everything when it comes to a lot of these a lot of these things. Um, We've been talking about movies countlessly (laughs) that have decent budgets, whether it be on Netflix, they come out in theaters. And man, the the budget can be great. It can look great. It can look beautiful. And then we go, man, that was a mediocre ass movie. Man, that was a mediocre ass TV show. Um, uh, a very prime example is the the last season of Game of Thrones, right? Where, of of, of course, by that time they have the budget they want. Some of and you know some some people do argue some of the, some of the darker shots in Game of Thrones. Of course, season eight was like, Ugh, I don't know about this, but uh, uh, the point stands that money is in everything, right? And in season eight is is pretty widely looked looked upon as not being. The greatest season of Game of Thrones, even though it probably had the highest budget. So coming into here, man, with the, the the rings of power, I would say right now it's enough to draw people in. I think that's a good I think that's not a terrible entry to say to for people to be like, oh, my God, this looks good. You got to go see it because that's what Avatar was. One of the biggest movies ever created. Right. Like Everyone was like nobody was like, oh, man, we love this story. Everyone was like, hell no, this movie looks amazing. You have to go see this thing. And so I kind of draw parallels in my head with that i was like okay if if people at least maybe episode one episode two they were like i at least gotta go see what it looks like (laughs) you know kind of type thing i think that's kind of okay in the beginning it i think it really is going to be in these next couple episodes where people are like well we've seen the beauty now are you going to get us to stick around even kind of what you're saying right now you know you don't you're not feeling it as much and so i feel like no matter how beautiful it is you got it. It's time to bring it. And, and and if that doesn't happen, then we'll end up back in, you know, sad territory that, again, we've been talking about a lot this year and a little bit of last year. It's just high budget does not equal to good movie. And so I'm hoping they, they, they figure that out. But again, at, at the end of the day, I like I kind of like it as a grabber. 
especially because this hasn't happened before. <laughs> and so I, I, I like that to get people's attention. So we'll just have to see where they go from here. Well, and in terms of attention grabbing, it works. You know, they reported that in the first 24 hours, they accumulated 25 million global viewers, which is a massive number. Those are unconfirmed reports. I mean, that's Amazon mm-hmm. telling us the number. So we just have to take their word Liars. for it. But, you know, right. They could just be <laughs> flat out lying to us. It could be a fourth of that. But um, if, if that's to be true, then it worked. You know, obviously the, the gimmick of it worked that this is staggering production value that you would typically only get in a movie theater. And then they talked about how they designed this for both the large, you know, flat screen televisions at home, but also for the IMAX screens when they held a two episode premiere last week ahead of the, the initial Amazon video premiere. And so they obviously put in the money to make this work from that perspective. And yes, it, it, you cannot deny the craftsmanship, the amount of work that it took to bring this to life. I mean, when I look at 9,500 VFX shots. That's just ridiculous. That's more than Infinity War and Endgame combined, two of the biggest visual effects movies we've ever seen. And they're already, you know, far surpassed that number. And 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 you look at even the mix of practicality versus visual effects. Like, I actually felt like there was a nice mix of things. That's mm-hmm. one of the things that I did like. Like, yes, these sweeping vistas have to be created from a computer but there's a lot of practical stuff there the costumes feel real and lived in their sets there's greenery they filmed this in new zealand just like the original trilogy so you see man the effort is absolutely there and you can never deny how hard all of these people worked behind the scenes to bring this to life regardless of how i feel or other people may feel this is top level top tier talent probably the best in the world Mm -hmm. coming together with the most resources possible to make sure that this adaptation is going to fulfill the expectations that are that are set forth, you know before it excuse me and because this is the world of token who is one of the most influential writers that we've ever seen and so many people really do love this material so i think that they always knew that this had to be something that was going to fulfill at least that expectation of having that visual grandeur that you would expect because Mm -hmm. when those initial films came out for peter jackson those were also at the time huge gambles people looked at him crazy like wait you're gonna film three movies back to back to back what who who does that that never happens that's suicide why would you ever put your production and your crew in that type of predicament we saw how it certainly paid off and when when you look at well, when you look past the visuals and you go deeper into the story of it, the story side of it, um, this is an adaptation. And this is similarly, like a lot of things we're seeing right now, actually a prequel to what we saw in the Lord of the Rings films. It gets a little tricky, though, because mm-hmm. though this story is set in the Second Middle Age, thousands of years before the events of what we saw in the Fellowship of the Ring, because of the way the rights issues work, the Rings of Power can't actually brand itself as a prequel to those Peter Jackson movies. Like, we know that going into it, but they can't actually mm-hmm. say that or reference those things because these rights were only for a specific section of those books, the appendices. And Jeff Bezos talked about wanting to emulate the success of Game of Thrones, which is why this became a passion project for him. This became something that he let the charge on, making sure that they secured this rights, obviously greenlighting the massive amount of money that they were going to spend here. So even from that perspective, it's a lot different than I think other things because they're adapting something that is very much just the skeleton of a story. The appendices never fleshed out what this really was. We, we got the general broad strokes of what the story is and what happened during the second middle age, but all the in-between stuff, it, it, it never had that level of depth and detail like the actual Lord of the Rings books. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously some character creations here. There's storylines being created. 
Do you think that that's going to work out for them in the long run? Because there's a lot of originality that has to come to this. And mm-hmm. yes, the visuals hooked us. Yes, the visuals grabbed us. But this has to sustain itself over presumably what's going to be five seasons here. What do you make of just the way that they're adapting this? The fact that they're only pulling from very, very limited material out of those appendices. Yeah, it, I think it's possible. But I also think it depends on level of effort given. Because I, I, I feel like things like this have existed to where... You only have so much to go off of, right? <laughs> and then you end up making an entire, I don't know, anything out of it. Entire movie, entire TV show, entire poem. You know, some people have made movies off of poems. That's barely anything, you know? And so I think it's definitely possible, but I think it takes a level of understanding about the world, right? I'm pretty sure they watched the first 10 minutes of freaking Fellowship of the Ring like 80 times just to make sure like, okay. <laughs> this is what kind of rings of power where it exists right and you're talking about the appendices of those books i'm sure they read it 80 times just like all right y'all this is it and and, and to, just to get an understanding of that world and where they can take that world i actually think in some ways it can that can be exciting like okay you've been given the world but now you have to come up with your own in-betweens like you i think that's a really cool concept that again everybody can't do we've seen it not work out um but in some ways we'll talk about house of the dragon in a little bit a lot of people say that is read a little bit more as a textbook and now we're we're looking at it as a show and it's like i think they're having some of the same uh, uh not 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 complicated but uh they're having some of the same uh challenges in, in, in terms of okay how do we make this into a show and so i think rings of, rings of power has a very similar challenge there but also i think a very similar um, um, reason I think to be excited to to make something like this man will it work out we don't know that's what we're here to see and I think that also is kind of cool on us the viewer where we can't be one of these people that watches it and be like oh that didn't happen in the book I love that about it because there's so many fans even right now that's like oh that wouldn't happen in middle earth we're like do you know that <laughs> I'm not sure you even you even understand that. It could have been a point in time where Tolkien, somebody brought this to him and was like, that's a great idea. You know, the same way that George Lucas didn't make everything Star Wars. You know what I'm saying? Like he didn't do he didn't make every story that we watch on the screen. And so I think there's there's really cool thing things that can happen here. Just again, the amount of effort, the amount of understanding, um, and execution, really at the end of the day. And so it's possible, but again, it's definitely a challenge. I find it interesting because the space that they're in is uh, a little different compared to their, I guess, their contemporary mega IP that's (laughs) out there because we've gotten really expansive universes created from Star Wars and from Marvel and even from like the wizarding world. Like we've seen the expansions of these IP into these really, really large universes where they have multiple shows and many different spinoffs and prequels and sequels and everything you can imagine. Whereas Lord of the Rings occupies a bit of a different space, although it was kind of like one of the first like real epic high fantasy works that made its mm-hmm. way into the, the mainstream. It's largely been untouched. And I think a lot of that is due to just like the rights issues and how that's been tied up in multiple places over the years. But we've got those first three Lord of the Rings films. we got the Hobbit films, which not are so beloved you know they're okay Mm -hmm. but they're not to the stature of those those first three and then you fast forward another decade and here we are just now with a new show that's adapting material that's very limited in in that respect and so 
they certainly have their work cut out for them, to say the least. It, it is possible. I think that there's definitely a way to create something and fill in the blanks and make us invested as an audience to a degree that we want to stick around for five seasons if they if they can make it through there. But I think uh, w- one of their big challenges also is just the fact that though they are creating a lot of characters and there's probably some composites here and there, things of that nature, they also have to even go further and actually create the moods and the behaviors of these characters. Mm-hmm. They have to really mm-hmm. flesh out who these people are because we don't really know them or have relationships with them with the exception of like Galadriel and Elrond. Like we're seeing exactly. a lot of the show from mm-hmm. her perspective in particular. And she's kind of been at the forefront of the marketing, which I think is smart. You want to take somebody that's somewhat familiar exactly. and put her at the forefront. And we see how different this interpretation of the character is versus what we saw out of Kate Blanchett in those first movies. Mm-hmm. But What's really interesting to me is just also the the space that we exist in within fantasy right now and how things have changed so significant significantly over the years because of the existence of a show like Game of Thrones. So, you know, recently we've gotten things like The Witcher and Sandman and Dune just came to life in a big, bold way. The Wheel of Time is out there and I already mentioned Wizarding World. So fantasy is a, it's in a really high and healthy place right now. But in a post Game of Thrones sort of pop culture society things are a little bit more complicated in terms of how we view characters. There's a lot more gray area in terms of the morality and how we view them and their actions and who's a good guy versus who's a bad guy, anti-heroes, that whole whole element that's been added to these stories that's, I think, really actually engrossed audiences. The Lord of the Rings is a little bit different because it's never really been that. The Lord of the Rings has typically been traditional good versus evil that's kind of what it's always been and i think it's a little bit more simplistic in that way not in a bad way actually in a really good way but times are different now that really worked i think at the time when those first three films came out do you think that that's still something that people are interested in the fact that this feels like more of an archetypal good versus evil very much more traditional in that respect or are people just naturally more inclined to gravitate towards those complicated characters, those very complex characters that have that moral gray area, that are very ambiguous in terms of what their ambitions and their underlying motives are, that mm-hmm. just keeps us guessing from week to week, like, who should we really be rooting for here? Mm, that's a that's a really good question, man, especially in the world of, you know, Tolkien in, in, in general is, you know, a world that's like, nope, this is good. This is bad. What happens now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, how do we get to the fight? And so, you know, I th- this world, you know, has to exist in kind of in that same capacity. And so it's we're having to figure out even if they're going to go completely that direction, you know, um, and, and it, it does feel like that early on for sure. Uh, and do, do people are people really interested in in the good versus evil anymore? I'm not sure, man. I can't say they're not. And I, the reason I say that is because the superhero-ness of it all, you know, nobody's about to go see a Wonder Woman movie and be like, uh-oh, is she, <laughs> is she going bad on this? Like, hell no, it's Wonder Woman. Of course she's not going bad on this. So I think there are some people who, who still are interested in that stuff, right? The Avengers are never going to be the you know the the antagonist well we'll see but you know in the in traditional <laughs> sense <laughs> in the traditional sense they'll never be the antagonist so i think it's definitely possible in that people want to see some of that stuff I'll, I'll even say maybe in a world where a lot of that those those complicated characters exist i think there's there's room for there to be a a, a refreshing take on good versus evil i think it's possible you know i think we've been getting so many complicated characters that we don't know what they're going to do and so maybe this is like a good old-fashioned okay this is 
I don't know. I, I really like stories sometimes that are that simple, right? If I'm playing a Diablo game, right, which is also very inspired by the Tolkien's and, you know, and, and, and things like that, it would be really, it's, to me, it's like, okay, there's a demon over there. That's a really cool ass demon. How do we form this really cool group to go kill the demon? And so uh, uh, I like that about it. I think Dungeons and Dragons is the same way, right? It's very clear in some ways in which uh, uh, there's there's good versus evil. And so I think it all exists, but it just depends on the people watching. And so uh, uh, it's something to figure out, I think. I think the audiences will vary because of that, right? Like, uh, uh, again, we'll talk about it in a second, but I think the the that could be slightly different from watching a House of the Dragon versus watching a Rings of Power, where Rings of Power, you're like, this guy's clearly good. This guy's clearly bad. House of the Dragon, you're like, this nigga can snap at any time. But they might not snap. And I think that I, I like that that can distinguish those series. I like that. I don't know. Any of that can distinguish from from a, a greater big Star Wars thing. Right. I think one thing that made me excited was like, will Ray be the first real great Jedi? But outside of Qui Gon, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I do like some of that stuff. But I think at the end of the day, sometimes good versus evil just works. It just can you give us all the interesting meat and potatoes in between that makes it cool right like when legolas and gimli team up we know they're good that's some cool shit though <laughs> you know what i mean like when it's, i don't know it just it just depends and so we'll, we'll have to see yeah i do think good versus evil always works i mean that it's been a story element trope it's it's literally reflective of real life you know and just mm -hmm. how we relate to people and how we kind of view things and, and fall on opposing sides of, of particular situations. So I think it'll always work. It does depend on the execution. And I would have to say, like, in, in watching these first two episodes, and this is a little bit of an assumption because we do have to see what the rest of the season holds. It's not to say that there won't be, like, complexity and some some morally gray areas presented. Absolutely, that's that could still happen. Just based off the first two episodes and what we've already gotten in previous Lord of the Rings stories, it feels more traditional in that sense. And I think... What I find in, in watching, you know, what I saw already is that I'm fine with the good versus evil story, but it still has to be compelling. The writing still has to be Absolutely. to a level that that hooks me. And I just didn't find that in these first two. I felt that all of the characters we were introduced to kind of felt a little one note or just uninteresting, really, in general. And to be frank, I can't even really remember anybody's name outside of like Galadriel and Elrond because I already knew them. You I can't them, yeah. I can't tell you who other people are in this show yet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just the, the way the way we were introduced to this large ensemble, it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily provide the canvas, I think, for me to 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 have a relationship with them just yet. That could mm -hmm. absolutely still come. But there is only six episodes left. It's not like they have a ton of runway. I think using your time efficiently in, an, in a really meaningful way to, to, to ensure that people are going to be hooked and to be able to sustain this is important. And so if you go the good versus evil route, the traditional route, so be it. That's that's amazing. I'm, I'm totally on board with that. But you still have to realize that you're adapting this for television and this is not a movie where you can have that same level of high intensity over the course of even mm -hmm. in those cases three four hours there's yeah. still a level of intensity that you can have in a very confined amount of time now we're in a space where we're getting eight hours of this stuff really eight plus hours plus multiple seasons down the line so that level of interest and intrigue has to be established so early so that we can that we can actually come back for more and more and more and so i think that element of having really complex characters, it can exist in different ways. You can create complexity out of good versus evil. It doesn't have to look like somebody who's always the anti-hero. In fact, like mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings has always been kind of like the anti-hero 
anti-hero type of story. It's always gone directly against that to really focus yep. on this is clearly evil and we have to combat that and go against it. And so I'm fine with that. It's just we have to get it to that level where it's actually worthy of, of sticking around and telling this type of story and being mm-hmm. invested in that in that in that long run. Um, we, we've talked a lot about these comparisons between the Rings of Power and House of the Dragon. Of course, again, we're in a time of just wondrous things, things like this that just we never really could have predicted. But it's no accident that the people over at Warner Brothers Discovery HBO decided to time out the release to match up with House of the Dragon. That's no coincidence. They have 10 <laughs> episodes. The Rings of Power has eight episodes. And so they started two weeks early. Mm. So literally every episode of The Rings of Power is going to overlap with House of the Dragon. <laughs> so they knew what they were doing. Obviously, a lot of the discourse is comparing these two. And frankly, we I think we all know really as fans, and if you don't know, you should know that Game of Thrones wouldn't exist without Tolkien and his work with Lord of the Rings. And George R.R. R. Martin himself acknowledges that all the time, how hugely inspired he was mm-hmm. by those stories. We would have no Game of Thrones without Very the Lord clear. of the Rings. <laughs> it's clear line, clear distinction there, and all these other things that I talked about, the dooms of the world, the witchers, and the mm-hmm. Sandman, like this stuff yeah. really comes from that ilk. But times have changed, as I mentioned. Game of Thrones mm-hmm. really caught the world and, and, and took it over by storm over the past decade plus. So now that we're kind of in the midst of this battle, even though I think it's still the best is yet to come. I still think a lot of it still has to kind of heat up as we progress through House of the Dragon and the Rings of Power for that for that matter. What do you think about this so far? Just like how are you feeling about about the fact that this is like a thing that we're dealing with that we're talking about it like that these two <laughs> extremely high fantasy works, some of the most notable works in fantasy history are now almost competing at the same time, really uh, between viewership, between audience interest, between weekly conversations. What are your overall thoughts just about the space that we're in right now? I absolutely love it, of course, first and foremost, as a nerd. But also, there's a thing called perfect competition, right? Like, it, it, it makes sense that they would do something like this. Of course, they're competing, but in some ways, they're they're working together, right, in tandem. And it may be uh, uh, often, what's the word, uh, I guess, unintentional, but that's literally how, like, it's a whole economics thing, right? When you see, sometimes you see a KFC and there's a Pizza Hut around the corner and a Popeye's around. Like, you know what I mean? They all exist in this exact same village on purpose. That's what perfect competition is. And they all thrive together, even though they're competitors. And so I, I kind of feel like this is the same thing where us as viewers who love these worlds, we're good. I have, you know what I mean? What what can we really complain about? It's not, they come out on different days. <laughs> uh, they both have really decent budgets. You know what I mean? Like they, there's really not much for us to be upset about, of course, besides the art itself. And so um, I love that space. I'll always like when, when people do this. I'm sure reality shows have done it before. I'm sure there are, you know, just, I don't know, just other works of or TV shows out there who have worked on uh, a perfect competition um and so yeah again there's, there's nothing for me to complain about man i'm 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 good where 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 i'm good and so i hope other people see it like that <laughs> in 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 some ways um but i know you know it's like you said things have changed in the nature also some people are probably going to gravitate towards one more than the other but i think that's okay when you just say i don't have to watch this anymore that's the easy part i think about tv you're just like eh I'm okay. You move on, you know? And so um, I think people will find themselves in that bucket as well. 
it's amazing to even have the opportunity to pit these two against each other, which is naturally, I think, what we do. You know, when you see two things that are very much alike, you just want to naturally pit them towards each mm-hmm. other because of that competitive aspect. Our culture is just so ingrained in, in being competitive. That is what it is. But it's a beautiful thing for, for us as audience members. I agree. You know, although personally, I would gravitate more towards what we're seeing out of House of the Dragon thus far. I, I think having the option to, to just experience both of these at the same time is going to be a moment that I remember. You know, I remember those yeah. really pivotal moments in pop culture where you can look back and say, like, damn, that did happen at the same mm-hmm. time that this thing happened. I remember back in 2016 on the movie side of things when within eight weeks, I think, we got Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice and Captain America Civil War, which was crazy at that particular time, of course. Mm-hmm. The quality of one of those movies didn't pan out the way that I wanted to, wanted it to, but the prospect and the promise of what was there was like, wow, this is a dream. And I would say the same thing kind of exists now for, for fans of these particular works and just fans of fantasy in general that not only just this concentrated amount of time over the course of these next seven or eight weeks, but just altogether what we're what we're experiencing right now is just it's ridiculous you know the mm-hmm. fact that all these streaming services are putting so many resources into bringing these things to life we do have the witcher i haven't watched it but that's hugely successful for netflix dune was one of the best movies of last year and they're gonna yeah. make more you know movies and adaptations of those novels so like we have the space and the opportunity for these things to all work together and for them all to you know what they say a, a, a rising tide raises all ships right and i think that mm-hmm. the same case is here there's probably a big reason why there was 25 million viewers for the rings of power it's probably just based off of one like you said the the genuine hook of this is the most expensive tv series ever made i want to see what it looks like but also on the flip side it's like oh shit house of the dragon is on let's see if the rings of power is just as good or or how it fares in comparison Mm -hmm. to that other notable fantasy series so as you said it all thrives at the same time all that said, I'm going to go ahead and pick like, yes, House of the Dragon is doing it more for me right now. That's not to say that it can't flip. That's not to say that it can't change. <laughs> Anything can happen. I certainly didn't expect the end of Game of Thrones to go down in the way that it did. Still so fucking disappointed by that. But right now, you know, that's where I'm leaning towards just because of those things we already talked about. The mm-hmm. the, the complexity of the characters, the shadiness that exists, the uncertainty, the subversiveness that just feels much more natural to that world than I think we typically would see in The Lord of the Rings. And also, I think that this is important, and I failed to say it, but I'm going to say it now. Those movies from Peter Jackson had some really good fucking actors. That yes. cast is incredible. It's, it's wild. It's ridiculous when you look back at that. Now, were all of them A-list superstars at that particular time? No, but they all kind of are now. You look at Ian McKellen and Viggo Mortensen and Elijah Wood, like all these people who were like, yeah, I know who that is, and they were mm-hmm. probably made famous because of those movies. The Rings of Power doesn't quite have that same hook just yet. Mm-hmm. These people could become stars, no doubt about it. Like the woman who plays Galadriel, we saw her in St. Maud, so we've we've been yeah. you know somewhat familiar with her. But I think that that also just kind of plays a part into it when I look at the casting of house of the dragon and i'm like oh yeah i know some of you and i've seen some of your work and then also the way that you've been casted here is also like really really important to bringing this character to life and i think that that's also like a big big thing that's going to help aid in just this whole conversation that we're having um any last thoughts here before we close out about this this whole conversation about the lord of the rings the rings of power um i don't know how we're going to necessarily cover this in the future episodes because there's a lot going on there's a lot of tv (laughs) a lot to talk about and maybe we'll revisit it you know every few weeks or so but any any closing thoughts here before we wrap up uh no not really uh just shout out shout out to the black people in middle earth now i think that's great <laughs> i just it was just great to see more black people what i will say 
is again this is this is the war thing house of dragon has a little leg up because <laughs> we got some we have a whole family line of negroes and their dark skin <laughs> over there versus <laughs> a lot of the people we've seen so far in in rings of power have been not only light but like they don't have like their own kin if that makes sense there's like not their own people it's like people that exist within there's a dwarf and an elf and it's like okay i love that too but I, I just wish there was like one more. I don't know. I'm just talking now. But uh, uh, yeah, just shout out to the black people in Middle Earth, man. I didn't think we'd ever be here, and we're here, man. Um, and same same went for for House of Dragon. So this is this, this is also cool territory in that regard. No, that's that's absolutely true, and it's a shame to see the persistent racism that exists amongst these really toxic sides of the fandom. We we we've seen it elsewhere, right? We 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 right. see it with Marvel. We absolutely see it with Star Wars and what they do there. We talked a lot about that when when Obi-Wan was out. And of course we're seeing the races pop out, talking about the diverse casting of these mm-hmm. these two particular series, but especially the Lord of the Rings. It, it's re- really bearing a lot of the brunt of that conversation. And uh it's a shame that they would even have to like take down the review system on Amazon to to avoid the trolls. It's just stupid. It's a ridiculous time that we live in when when we have people who can have these platforms to say that ridiculous stuff but i think all that said it is a nice opportunity that exists here to make it known like yes people love darker skin darker skin complexion complexions and various backgrounds like they can all be a part of this world too there's no reason because that that is one of the failings of like those peter jackson movies didn't really have anybody that looks like us there you know that that that, that's the one thing you go back and look and like uh damn it's kind of a shame we didn't create that opportunity just based off the books like you can mm-hmm. always change and adapt things like they are doing here so i think it's a great opportunity you know that it, that exists here that we can actually see these people on screen so definitely dope stuff there but those are our initial thoughts on the lord of the rings the rings of power the first two episodes if you've seen the series the first two episodes that just dropped hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said let's transition over to house of the dragon and talk about episode three which came out this past week on hbo as we have been doing each and every week we've been talking about the episodes in detail recapping all of the big notable moments and this week's episode title was second of his name coming off of a second episode that i think actually set the wheels in motion for what we intend to see for the remainder of the season and we talked a lot about just the nature of the story how it's a little bit smaller and more focused and also just the apparent time jumps that are happening here as well which we also got another one this week a very notable time jump, but that's going to be a continuous thing because of the the length and just the, the overall scope of the story. But I'll pass it over to you. What did you initially, just before we dive into it, what did you think about this week's episode of House of the Dragon? Man, I like how many pieces are like still being moved here, man, but in slow motion. It's something about Game of Thrones pacing that I just always like, man. It's like they know how to give us some some political <laughs> and they know how to give us some action and i think that this episode really provided me uh, a decent amount of those things too i think what's, what's really cool about house of the dragon as well is even though it's a prequel they always find a way to to somewhat um either mirror or give some attribution to game of thrones and it's like we're the before but we're also the after and it's like they know that and they do things in the show to be like, okay, this looks like this character. Oh, word? Oh, this is uh, this character's family. You're like, oh, well, finally. I'm glad to see them. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's just really cool. And I think they're doing a good job of a lot of those things, man. Again, this is uh, everything isn't like the book that they're doing you know, from, from, from what I'm getting at. And so I love when they're able to change things that have meaning and reason that 
you know, something in the book could have been, uh, I don't know, just a little outdated or just doesn't work for TV or like it seems like they're 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 able to come in and change some of that stuff and make it work for the better so far, um, I will say. So I found myself having a really good time with this episode, actually. And a lot of it didn't a lot of it existed in symbolism. A lot of it was like, here's this thing on screen. And you're like, wow, that's actually kind of deep if you think about it. Or and I was like, dang, man, I, I, I like this. Um, but and then we do get, you know, a decent action scene at the end of this episode. And I, and I liked a lot of that, too. And it looks good. And it's I don't know, man, I'm, I'm having a really good time with this TV show, I, I, I must say. Um, like you said, it, it is I do prefer it over Rings of Power so far. I think they're they're a little bit more meticulous in the things that they're trying to do. Um, I and I and I feel like uh, uh, their introdu their introduction of characters is slowly but surely working. Like I can see, like okay, that character over there is going to do something. I don't know what it is yet. They only gave us thirty seconds on screen, <laughs> but I know they're going to do something. And I like that's also something Game of Thrones had always done. It'd be like man, that's a no name. They're not going to do nothing with him. And it turns out like, nope, that's a whole hero. You know what I'm saying? And so I feel some of that stuff coming into play here. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it feels like its own story while, while keeping that, that Game of Thrones feel to it. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm very satisfied so far of what I'm getting out of House of Dragon. This week's episode was another big success. I, I, I admittedly, as, as I was watching it, I was a little worried because this was not it was a slower episode, but I was never bored. I should I should definitely make that mm -hmm. distinction. I was never, ever bored. I was always invested. But notably for a lot of it, it is a lot slower, even compared to last week's episode, which I felt was a more talkative episode. But then it absolutely introduces an incredible action set piece in the final 15 or so minutes that just it makes you want to get up out of your seat or out of your bed or wherever you're watching it. You're like, whoa, where did this come from? So it absolutely hooked me back in in the best way possible by the end of it. And then when you just look at it as a whole for what it means for, for where these characters are thus far and just also how it sets everything up for the rest of the season and also just fundamentally changes who these people are, I think it's actually one of the more important things out of the series that we've seen, especially by the end of it. I think our three primary people that we see here, who are notably Viserys, Rhaenyra, and Damon, I think that they fundamentally become different people after this. And again, we know that the element of time is is key here, so we're going to see physical changes, but I think also just behavioral changes are really afoot coming to us very, very soon here. And so I just thought that it was an absolutely knockout episode that 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 really that really gripped me, you know, especially by the by the final act of everything that we saw, and I felt like. Everything that they've set up thus far, like I'm totally just on board with it and it all makes sense to me. And I think that the places that we could potentially go in these next few episodes, like by the time we get to five and six, I think that the spaces that they're creating right now are going to pay off in really, really significant mm -hmm. ways. And so I'm I'm super excited for that particular point of the season, almost like the midway point where I feel like everything's going to change yeah. in a big, bold way. So overall, still hugely successful to me. And I think that uh, it only leaves me even more excited because not only did we get everything we expected out of this week and more, but also just the stuff that, that lies ahead for the future, the claims that are being made by particular people are only becoming stronger. The alliances are only becoming stronger. All the 
political intrigue that we that we anticipate out of the show is just coming to the forefront even more. So I thought it was really, really successful. Let's start and talk about Viserys and get into the, the details of this episode. So if you haven't seen it, this is your spoiler warning. We're going to talk about some details for, of what went down this week. So Viserys is in an interesting state, as he was last week and really in the first episode, but even more so now because we do get another big time jump. We fast forward, I think, about three years here because we see that he is able to actually have a child with Allison, and they have Aegon, who is Aegon the Second in this mm-hmm. series. She's also pregnant with another child that's on the way, so their marriage is very fruitful from that respect. He he's essentially got what he's wanted. He's been able to make a successor to his 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 lineage, a male successor. And also, he seems like he's in a state of regret based off of everything that we previously saw. Because listen, marrying your daughter's best friend was probably not the best move to begin with, especially if you're trying to build trust with your daughter. And so we see that there's resentment on Rhaenyra's side. Absolutely. But also I think Viserys, I mean, he just, he, he, he's in a darker place right now because they're in the middle of this war at the Stepstones with the crab feeder and he's getting drunk a lot. He's drinking a ton. He is seemingly kind of in a depressed state. He's trying to appeal to all these different factions and sides of his family and his daughter and everything that's kind of pulling at his strings there. What did you just make of the state of Viserys and how we saw him this week? Man, it's so he's such an interesting character to me because we constantly see glimpses of why this man is like not the greatest king. (laughs) You know what I mean? But it's crazy. It's also crazy to see how good of a person he still is and and, and a a lot of what he does is either because of the weird sense of morality right or it's because of his his attention to duty he always feels like okay i have to do this so i do it and that is in some ways a making of a good king but it's his decision making and his heart gets away a lot of the time in order uh, uh to do that one of the things that is interesting about this entire episode is him not spinning into madness. I think the same way that the mad King, (laughs) you know, spun into madness, but we see so many, so much of the political bullshit come into the, the world of Viserys here. And you can see that he just, he, he's not okay, man. Uh, uh, some of it is, I was talking about a lot of the symbolism I loved in the episode, in this episode, we see two uh, in the previous episodes. We seen there was some rat on his fingers. Now there's two of his fingers missing as time has progressed. We're like, where the well, damn. We don't still don't know what it is. We thought it was grayscale. There's no way. Too much time has passed for it to be grayscale. But no matter what it is, it's like the the throne is slowly killing this guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and and it was even you know said in the books that if you you have to sit on the 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 throne. A specific way or it'll cut you if it cuts you it probably means you're not fit to be king and we've seen him get cut in his finger um and it's, it's interesting to see in which ways the story progresses and we're like man maybe this dude isn't the greatest king even in this episode they're here um, um in this place to hunt right what is it called looking for a white heart i think it is mm-hmm. and they end up finding just a normal heart uh, a regular looking moose deer thing um and he 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 fails to kill it on the first try, and in my mind that means oh man you lost some mojo because that you know that's like I think that speaks to his falling of 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 his the, I guess the height of his kingdomship like it just feels like this dude does not have it all anymore and he's having to stab it again in order to kill it and that feels like uh, an, a, a lot of kings I feel like a lot of people seen that was like ooh 
a lot of kings probably did that in the first <laughs> the first in the first stabbing um and so it's it's sad to kind of see king viserys again as a person who seems like such a good guy but see how this role is tearing him apart um and so he's he's left in so many different uh, uh i think sad positions of course um when it comes with to right when it comes to the thinking about the air of his child he's crying over a fire you know drunk with wine in his hand it's like this dude is not okay and who's there to check on him um and so yeah it's, it's just very 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 interesting to see him being driven mad in a different way i'd say i'm gonna call him the sad king for right now i'm like this dude is not okay <laughs> So this is the sad king. The depressed king. The sad king. <laughs> oh, man. Viserys needs therapy for sure. No, I think that those are really, really excellent points. Um, I agree. I agree that he, uh, he he presents himself as a really, really positive person in terms of his decision making. Like it always comes from a positive place, a, a place mm -hmm. of well-intentioned meaning or whatever the case may be. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to be the right decision. And of course, just the way that it affects other people, that doesn't mean that they're going to agree with it and like it. And so it's interesting because this is completely juxtaposing what we just had grown accustomed to in Game of Thrones, where a lot of people in those positions of power were just untrustworthy. You could not put your faith into them at all because they were mm -hmm. very, very conniving and ruthless and very aggressive in their ambition. And, I think the way that we see Viserys and the way that he's handling all of, all of these different responsibilities, it just might signal to us that a good man can't really be king in this world. And it might be a stretch to call him a good man, but I think probably good within the relative context of how good you can even be in this in this world of Westeros, because how how good can you be? Nice. I think is like one of the bigger questions, but relative to what we've seen and what we know. I don't know if he's cut out for that. I don't know if a good man can be cut out to mm -hmm. make the decisions that need to be made and please as many people as possible here because you're going to ruffle feathers as he already has done. But even more so, Viserys has become so distracted with what is happening inside of his family and the fact that he now has a son. He has Aegon II there. I think he's become so distracted and you add that on top of the alcoholism and the fact that he's already mm -hmm. negated his daughter and that relationship kind of broke down years ago. And he's also estranged from his brother at this point because he's so focused on Aegon and having these children. He's just unable to see everything that's happening around him and all of these different things that are going to be probably his undoing, if we're being honest about it. I yeah. think D Damon and Rhaenyra are probably ultimately going to. They're going to be responsible for usurping him, mm -hmm. probably both physically and metaphorically in every sense of the word. And so I just find it really fascinating that this is happening so early, knowing that a time jump is still coming, knowing that we're yeah. going to go 10 years into the future, probably. And how much is going to be the same at that particular moment in time and how much is going to necessarily be different? Will we see a more ruthless, a more aggressive, a more ambitious King Viserys, who is now stepping up to the plate in this this newfound wartime because he's also succeeding a, a peacetime king as well, right? And so I think he's probably also carrying a lot of that same mindset from from the from the era of peacetime into this into this wartime era, which which you can't really do here. There has to be very cold, calculating decisions that are made. So I find that all to be really fascinating just to see his his journey continue to unfold over these over these successive weeks. Um, let's talk about Renera here, of course, because she continues to play a very pivotal role and really the plight of what happens with Rhaenyra in this episode is the fact that everybody wants her to get married. 
Viserys wants her to get married because he thinks it'll only make her claim to the throne stronger. It'll only strengthen her claim to be the heir. And he's promised her that he will not change that decision, that she will ultimately ultimately be his heir to the Targaryen family. We see other people almost courting her. We get a we get a Lannister incorporated here, <laughs> twin Lannisters at that, who are trying to court her. There's a lot of people coming after Rhaenyra because they see an open opportunity. And she's not here for it. She doesn't want to marry anybody because... On the flip side, she also thinks that possibly marrying somebody will only give her dad fuel to say, well, now you can't be the heir. I'm actually mm-hmm. going to give it to Aegon and change my mind. What do you think about just this whole conundrum that she's dealing with this week? It is, uh, uh, man, it, it continuously makes Rhaenyra just one of my favorites, man, because she is like constantly like, fuck the system. <laughs> and she's not even one of those characters that are trying to manipulate it either you know like cersei was like okay i'm gonna go here i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this. she's not even like that either even in order to change it she's just like no i'm not gonna take part in something that you know it's not made for me um and, and I, I i really love that about her man i like that when jason pulls up and she's like okay and what else can you bring me like you're rich and what else though <laughs> and you know that's really all he can say it's like i can give you some whatever it's called dragon caves i, I forgot what they're called but i was it, it's just i don't know man i like that she is constantly seeking autonomy in her future and that is the most really the biggest plight that women have had since the beginning of time it's like can i just be do what i want to do and because i'm the okay the like the the i i am the person that is controlling my life let me be that person and so i i I'm looking for like different things in this system that is going to force her to, to, I think, um, so I think surrender to some of those things. Right. And what are the things that she's going to subscribe to? And so I like, I like how Allison knew Rhaenyra enough to be like, well, if you tell her she can marry who she wants, she'll probably respond to that. Well, and I remember the second that Viserys is like, as long, I mean, just mar- I want you to marry, marry who you want. As soon as he says that, she she has, she has a little baby smile, and I was like, "Well, damn." Allison kind of knows a little a thing or two, you know what I mean? I was like, "Okay," but I love that Rhaenyra. That's that's the what she lives off of, um, and so it's it's a really tricky thing for her right now, especially given I think all her suitor prospects um, that are on the table uh now i i see even more interesting it's like okay not only who does she pick but why does she pick them or does she still feel like that she has to get married and i don't know we can see all these things that are going to come to fruition like you said these time skips are going to be so interesting man because in this one episode they gave her like four people she could marry she could marry uh the the lannister aegon which is uh, wild ass suggestion by Otto there that did not see that coming it, it the only reason it's like it's it it's very accurate on a Targaryen level <laughs> it's yeah. like well that could happen on a Targaryen level it could uh, but then it's Lenor uh, Valerian too and I was like okay y'all laying out all these people um, for, for this woman to marry but who does has anybody like really asked her what she thinks of this and so it's just it. I like how it's us on the viewer to kind of be upset every episode. Like, why do y'all keep trying to tell this girl what to do? Why do y'all keep trying to tell this girl who she's going to marry? And I part of me feels like that wasn't 
outside of like Sansa, that wasn't always the case in, in Game of Thrones. But that was something Sansa was going through. The girl was getting passed around, unfortunately. Like, you know, and so I, it, as a girl who has, I think, a little bit more fire in her in the beginning than Sansa did, it's like, okay, how are you going to make these decisions? You are heir. He has told you that you're. <laughs> this will always be the case, which I actually love how explicit he said that because now it's like, hmm. Will that always be the case? Like, it was very, like, I am not going to, you will always be the heir. I was like, "Mm, I don't like that. (laughs) I don't like that they said that because now some fuck shit's going to happen. But I I love how interesting they continue to make this thing. And I I feel like a marriage, I don't know, always doesn't get this much interest out of me. But I'm like, no, this is kind of important stuff. And so, uh, uh, yeah, it's just been interesting to watch, man. I'm I'm rooting for Rhaenyra, whatever that means. No doubt about it. I mean, everybody is presenting their case here. Everybody has an opinion on this matter. Like we said, Otto, the Lannister twins, everybody is wanting to figure out who's going to be this next suitor for Rhaenyra. And it's interesting because that just reinforces the world that we live in, that she really has not had a say until her father tells her, like, I don't care who you pick, just pick somebody. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it just reinforces again, like the position of power or lack thereof that a lot of women have in these particular situations that we constantly see but also ultimately when Rhaenyra probably does choose somebody if she chooses somebody I should say we have to just think like what is it going to be for is it going to be to strengthen the position of her family or the relationship with another family or is it just going to be purely out of desire because her father in essence kind of did it out of desire you know he didn't really do it to strengthen any relationships he had that opportunity Lord Corliss and Renice presented that to him, like, let's do this to bring our houses together. We can make this a really strong faction. And he went the opposite direction and chose Allison because, you know, he thought what he thought and he ultimately has children with her now. And so mm-hmm. I'd be interested to see what Rhaenyra ultimately does if she does decide to choose a suitor and 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 marry, you know, what's the what's the reason behind that? Is it gonna be out of just like a personal desire for somebody, like who she actually loves, or is it just to continue to play this political game and, and just strengthen her position to actually remain as heir because if you just go down the line and you look at a character like Daenerys you know it was it was initially it seemed like it was going to be out of a political desire but mm-hmm. by the end of that series it became just like pure love really if we think about it and that kind of that kind of betrayed her and, and and we saw how that turned out for her character so I'm curious as to see how that'll work out um, and last but not least, we have to talk about Damon, of course, in this episode. He had a huge moment, conspicuous by his absence for about 40-something minutes, though. I was very worried that we weren't going to really get any significant Damon time <laughs> this week, but we did, absolutely. Again, this is taking place three years after that initial war with the with the crab feeder at the Stepstones kicked off, and we see by the end of this episode that Damon and his army, they are on the ropes. They are losing this war. It's not going their way. The crab feeder is kicking their ass, essentially. And so, kind of reluctantly, Viserys decides to send some aid. He sends multiple ships. He sends a letter out to Damon that ultimately gets to him, and Damon reads it. And I guess something just sets him off in that moment because he goes on an absolute tear. He completely rips through so many of his forces, of the crab feeder's forces, and is in so many precarious positions where he almost loses his life, but he manages to escape improbable as it may be and then by the end of it he kills the crab feeder and drags his torso out of the cave that he found him in and ultimately emerges victorious in this whole thing and now it's probably going to go back to king's landing 
full head of steam with a bigger stake to the claim that he should ultimately be the heir because he won this war. He has a lot of ammunition behind his back now after this 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 big battle that, that just took place at the end of this episode. What did you make about Damon and everything that went down with him in those final few moments? I just want everybody to go watch that whole sequence again. There's some shots in there. Like even before they like get to the part where they're trying to re-strategize um, kind of on the board, there's like a pulling out of the camera that usually you do the opposite. Usually you like zoom in, but the camera's going backwards and they're like on the mountain. I thought that was so tight. I was like, what the hell are they doing here with this camera? I thought it was amazing. Um, and also one more small player I have to, I have to talk about is Laner Valerian and this whole thing. It's really fucking tight, man. I think we forget there's like a whole other Targaryen in this hole. <laughs> um, and Lenor just seeing, I think this might be the first Negro we've seen on a dragon. <laughs> and I was like, yes, we Pretty did sure it. it we did it. Um, I thought it was really tight. Also, his dragon's name is Sea Smoke. Oh my God. I don't think we, y'all understand how cool that fucking is? Like his mom is a fucking. Y'all, y'all get it later, man. That is really tight. It's literally both sides coming together, and they named it Sea Smoke. I think that's some really cool shit. Okay, but bro, I first of all, Damon, I I like when he has temper tantrums <laughs> because you just don't know what's gonna happen. And so the first temper tantrum, he like got people to to conjure in this one place for this damn egg. That was a whole temper tantrum. He gave the egg back. Here, he whoops this nigga's ass. <laughs> uh, and so I like that Damon is just, he's the unhinged one of the show. It's very clear. Um, where that's going to get him, we don't know. But where it gets him in this episode is to a victory. And so I loved seeing kind of the parallels between, you know, is the one shot where he's waving the flag uh, uh, of surrender. That parallel, and of course the obvious parallel when Jon Snow takes out his sword for the Battle of the Bastards, it was like, yes, <laughs> yes, showrunners. Like, I don't know what y'all doing right now, but high five to everybody because it's, it's so subtle. But if you know that scene as well as I know that scene and other fans know that scene, you're like, well, duh, that makes a ton of sense, um, what's happening here. And so, again, seeing seeing Damon pull apart uh, uh, the Crab Feeders men left to right was crazy i he's wild with us so we haven't seen him really in like this kind of combat yet right we've seen like the jousting we've seen them kind of run rampant on the town right that night before jousting i think but we haven't seen like damon just going crazy through like 10 dudes <laughs> uh in a couple seconds i will say he clearly has some armor that involves arrows i don't know why he wasn't getting by him by none of them arrows he's clearly a superhero i don't know what's going on there but I really like this scene a lot, man. It was the action that, that Game of Thrones always had the potential to bring. This is one of those weeks I was like, yep, this is what I'm talking about, man. This is how you create this show like this. This is what I'm sure George R. Martin was like, hell yeah. <laughs> this is hella tight. Like, I, I, it just felt like everything was happening as it should be. Um, and, and oh, I have to speak to one more thing. When he finally, when Damon finally kills the crab feeder. I love, love, love that he didn't just behead him or I don't know. I love that he had to get dragged by half of his body and his head was still on. I don't know. I think we've just seen enough beheadings now. I don't know. Or, or heads missing that I was like, no, that feels a little more powerful um, that he went in here and, and kicked the crab feeder's ass in this way. So 
great scene, man. Great way to end the episode. Just just good job all around. Well, it's likely his trophy. I, I would not be surprised if he takes that damn torso all the way back to King's Landing and show like, I did this. This is me right here. And so, yes, Damon showed his ass completely in this entire sequence. He was just out there going crazy, and I loved it. Although, he certainly has the benefit of plot armor here because <laughs> he should have gotten tagged from the top with all of those arrows. There was no way that it would have made through that if this wasn't, you know, a fictional show. But it is what it is. Still enjoyed seeing it. And it was just beautifully choreographed. You obviously feel the rage behind every swing that he throws at the Crab Feeder's army. You can feel him wanting to stick it to his brother. Wanting to show, like, no, nah, I can really end this when I want. And he did. Because mm -hmm. when I look at this, I'm like, well, you know, Damien, you kind of did this almost entirely on your own. Yes, ultimately, you going in there was a plot to bait everybody out so that Laner can come through with the dragon and just smoke everybody, turn them into crispy barbecue. But you went in there and handled a lot of people pretty, pretty easily. So mm -hmm. theoretically, this war probably could have been over if you were a little bit more focused. But I think his leadership style just had everybody in a state of dissension. You know, there wasn't really there wasn't really a united front to make this just a quicker war, to make this a more decisive victory until the last waking possible moment where Viserys decides, like, okay, now I'll help, and now I'll go bail out my brother, but I, I don't think Damon was ever going to stand for that. Once once that happened, I mean, it just became, it became, you know, two minutes, you know, two-minute warning of, like, the final, you know, the final playoff game. He had to go Tom Brady and say, like, no, nah, this ain't over. I'm going to turn up right now. And so that's what he did. And I love seeing it. It was brutal. It was violent. And the way that he just emerged was completely badass and everything that they did here. So it will only stake his claim to the throne and make it even stronger, I think, in, in the future weeks of the series, because he's yeah. the one that won a war. He shows like I can lead on the battlefield. That's that's really important, I think, for the times that they're living in, because there's going to be more adversaries that come along in this world. So a lot left to see here, a lot left to digest, of course, over the remaining weeks. We still got seven episodes of these bad boys left, so certainly can't wait to come back next week and talk about all the rest of the details with House of the Dragon. But those are our thoughts on episode three of House of the Dragon. If you checked out the latest episode of the Game of Thrones prequel, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, let's go ahead and turn it over to the movie side of things. We got a couple to talk about this week. First up, we have to talk about this brand new comedy that just debuted in theaters and on Peacock, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. I just want to clarify some things before we... Before we get started, every woman is not built for the great responsibility of being a first lady. Pastor Lee Curtis Childs faces allegations of misconduct. His megachurch may never be the same. Lee Curtis and I, we're going to get to the other side. Hey, you there. Yeah, with the big old microphone. Come in closer, son. You're going to see what all the fuss is about. <laughs> Showtime. What's up? Oh. Fresh is our turn, baby. Lee Curtis is a talent, a star. Oh, boy. Uh, we can edit around that, right? This is going to chronicle the ultimate comeback. I'm Rocky up in this fight. Rocky didn't win. But he did win in Rocky too. Lord, baby, how many times I got to tell you get past the first movie? That was all set up. He is just so wrong. <laughs> he needs someone to harness it all. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. I'm sure plenty of the old congregation will come right on back through good old Wands of the Greater Path door. <laughs> you have a blessed one. Oh, my goodness. And you have a blessed... 
I'm a sinner, but I'm no criminal. We need you back in that pulpit so you can get me back on that stage. You ain't really getting that many beeps, baby. Shake it for the Lord. Shake it for the Lord. I said, get it yeah. for the Lord. In my house. For the Lord. All those folks out there who are going to see this, I want them to know that I did what I was supposed to do. I just don't see how that's possible. All, all things are possible with God. That's, on, that's Matthew 19, 26. Yes, it is. So that's good. You can cut. Now, this movie is written and directed by Adama Ebo and it's starring Regina Hall, Sterling K. Brown, Austin Crute, and Nicole Bahari. And so, Honk Your Jesus, Save Your Soul. It's a movie we talked about briefly on the podcast. We saw the trailer recently. It actually premiered earlier this year at the Sundance Film Festival. So, it's had its premiere for a few months now, but it just made its way to streaming and on theaters, of course. And Regina Hall and Sterling K. Brown, I think, coming together to work together for the first time here in the satirical comedy. Something I know we were both looking forward to. We got a chance to check it out. So, I'll turn it over to you. What do you think? about Hong for Jesus save your soul you know I kind of talked about this a couple weeks ago but again this was a short film that came out I think in 2018 it's about 18 minutes um, and it's also created by uh, Adama Yibo and I remember seeing it as part of uh, uh, one of Issa Rae's YouTube channels I always forget the name of it for some reason um, I think it might just be like hooray it might just be like a hooray media uh, 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 entry um, on YouTube and I remember being like, dang, this is really this is really cool. But it's, it was something missing, though. Even when you watch the short film, you're like, okay, I understand exactly what you're trying to do there. And now here, for this Hunk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, in 2022, I see the vision to make this just bigger than what it was. And for the most part, I think I understand the vision. I actually enjoyed this film quite a lot. But a lot of it that I, the reason I like this is the acting of Stanley K. Brown and Regina Hall. I think they were just carrying, carrying, carrying the hell out of this movie for the most part. Cause no matter what was happening story wise, which is actually pretty, I don't know if one dimensional is the word is the word, but there's not a lot of changes in the story in this, in this specific thing. It's literally, there has been a, a, uh, uh, what word am I looking for? Conspiracy. Not even conspiracy. What? A, yeah, let's go with that. A conspiracy <laughs> at church, and they have lost all their members. Long story short, they're trying to get all their members back because of the conspiracy having to do with the uh, the pastor of the church, Lee, Lee Curtis. And that's really the whole story, though. It's them trying to get these members back and what it looks like for them to do that. But not only that, what it looks like for their marriage kind of to be going through the same things that the church is going through. And I think there's a, a small subtleties in that story to j just make it very interesting, man. Um, it is, of course, there's a lot of comedy in it, but there's a lot of, I think, well directed and acted drama that, that, that kept me in it again, because these two powerhouse actors just knew what they were doing. Um, it's not the, again, the most complicated story in the world, but also, because I've, I grew up in the church and existed in the world that is the church, I was like, yep, that would go like that. Oh, yep, that would go like that. There's a moment 
where uh, uh, Regina Hall's character, right, being the first lady of the church, runs into a woman who used to be part of the church. The way they talk to each other is the most accurate thing I've ever seen. It's like that's exactly when you're trying to like when you're Christian and you're trying to like tiptoe around <laughs> certain conversations because you're Christian and you're trying to make not be messy. That's exactly how people talk. And it's just, I don't know. There's a lot about it that I, th- I feel like I just hadn't seen before in a film. And I think that also is why it landed a little bit for me a little bit more, too. It's not a perfect movie, but I was like, damn, have I ever seen this before in in movie form? And I hadn't. Especially, it's taboo to talk about, uh, uh, at least in, in, in the black church, it's taboo to talk about uh, all the thing, the bad things that might have happened in the church, right? It's taboo to talk about all the messiness that w- that might have happened in the church. Um, of course, we've seen kind of similar things happen in Eyes of Tammy Faye, right? We just talked about the Eyes of Tammy Faye. They were a Christian couple. What's going on there? And this is kind of a different take, I think, in that way, where the the, the black church is so different <laughs> than anything that most people have experienced. And so seeing a lot of that nuance come out in this film, um, I enjoyed it, man. Again, it's not perfect. I think there's moments where I was looking for a story beat to change something. Or I was looking for, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, just something else um, to, to happen. Didn't. And so it made it not drag on, but there's a couple minutes I think I would have taken out. But other than that, um, I, I just like this movie because it exists and I haven't seen anything like it before, man. It's 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 really something else. Um, and I hope people, I think, find a lot of those nuanced things interesting on, in a movie um, that we haven't seen before. Like, this ain't no Tyler Perry. You know what I'm saying? This is like, no, nah, this... This stuff has has happened in real life, um, in in a lot of different aspects, and so uh, I I can't wait to see. Other, I think other people's reaction of this movie. Like I want my mom to watch this more than anything, and be like, "Mom, as a black woman who is still in the church, what do you think about this movie, and how do you feel about it?" And I think that's where the most important conversations are going to happen around this film, and where the most interesting of conversations are going to happen um, around this film. And so that's what I'm looking forward to the most coming out of this. So, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul is presented as a satire, and I've talked recently about satires and kind of their place in pop culture now, and I I don't know if there's really a place for them anymore. I I kind of wonder if people's appetites to see satirical comedies in particular is really there. I think that they they might be really well defined by particular eras in pop culture, and I I just Mm -hmm. don't know if we're, I don't know if we still exist in that moment now, just because the world always seems like it's so on fire and there's just such real shit happening where it's like, am I really going to turn on this satire and laugh at this very real and sometimes depressing, heartbreaking stuff that I see. But for me, I'm not of that mindset. I very much love satires. I love things that can take a look at a particular moment or a piece of a culture or an element of of a community, whatever the case may be, and and really provide some biting commentary because I think it's uh it, it, it operates in a space that feels dangerous that we don't want to talk about it. It is a little bit taboo to 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 the point that you made earlier, but I love when we can penetrate that and we can address those things. And absolutely nothing might be more protected and sacred than what we see in like black churches and and even more specifically like Southern black churches and like these Mm -hmm. mega churches that exist that have become very prominent across the country and so in this story you have this couple this 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 wedded couple that leads this mega church and yes they are dealing with the controversy they are dealing with some uh some some statements that are alleged against them that are very very 
very heinous and and very bad mm-hmm. things. And so we're seeing the story unfold in, in their attempts to reopen their church and to bring people back to their congregation and to really make themselves more prominent in the community on top of the fact that they now have new competition that's like right down the block for them, right? And so they have that added that added element of pressure that exists. And so entering into the story, knowing that it was a satire, knowing that there was elements of comedy, I was all in for it. And for the most part, it delivered for me. For the most part, that th- this was a very satisfying experience for me. I, too, at some points can relate to what this experience is trying to convey. And I think if you if you haven't really experienced the black church, if that's not been something that you've been accustomed to, this movie just might not connect with you. And that's okay, mm-hmm. too. It's it's meant to be made for a very specific audience, I think, because it's talking about the, the hypocrisy that exists in some black churches and in some leaders of churches and that can yeah. be actually translated to not just the black church. That's not exclusive to that experience. That can be translated even wider. But I think that there's like certain moments and certain cultural references. And, and like you said, just the way the characters interact with each other that are a little bit more specific. And so it might have a bit of a narrow appeal, but sometimes we need that. And I think that that's completely fine. But overall, what stands out here for me the most is the performances, and most notably Regina Hall. I think she's a standout here. She does an incredible job, not only because of the comedic timing that she has, which we've known her to always have. She's always been a really, really great comedian, but also just her dramatic chops here. She goes to a different level that I haven't seen her in that much, and I really enjoy what she brought here. Just the elements of heartbreak and the and the and the, the bullshit that she has to put up with is just it's mm-hmm. it's really powerful to see her just live with that and own it and and persevere yeah. on the other side of it mm-hmm. because of her choice to do so. And I, I just thought that this was overall a really, really enjoyable film. And the comedy hit for me when it needed to hit. There were a lot of awkward moments and those weird mockumentary style pauses that you get out of sitcoms that we see. <laughs> All of that stuff I really loved. The only things that kind of stood out for me in terms of what I really didn't like, I I did find that because this is a short film and they expanded to a longer, more narrative-focused story, I do think that that canvas was needed because there was enough there, but it did become a little bit repetitive to me at certain Mm -hmm. points. Like, we have the central conflict and they kind of go about that same conflict in a little bit of a roundabout way. We kind of just end up at the same place over and over again. And I just wonder, by the end of it, did we get a real arc for these characters? Maybe we right. did. I think it's it's it feels like a little bit of an uncompleted arc. It's, it's almost mm-hmm. kind of incomplete because I wanted to see more. Funnily, funnily enough, I thought that this story could have benefited from from a extended runtime if if there was more to tell to really see well, how did these characters end up? What really changed here? Mm-hmm. How is their relationship going to be affected by all of this in the long run? There's a lot there that I think still could have been unpacked. And so I was a little disappointed, actually, when it all ended. But that being said, this was a really enjoyable experience for me. And I do think it's one of those movies that if you're not into satires and if you can't really relate to the experience of like the black church, then I could mm-hmm. see how it might be a disappointing film experience for you just, just from that perspective. But if you, if you've grown accustomed to being a part of these worlds or even just like operating amongst them adjacently in some capacity, I think that there's something there for you to latch onto. I think that there's enough there that, that can make you enjoy this experience. So overall, I think definitely a, a solid film to watch and something as you said, not not a piece of culture and society that we've spent that much time in. So it's actually kind of pleasant to, to be able to spend the opportunity with these two 
characters in particular in this world of what it's like to run and operate a southern black mega church and just everything that comes with that so overall i think a, a definite su success in my mind but those are our thoughts on honk for jesus save your soul if you've checked out this film definitely hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said we're going to go ahead and transition to our next film a brand new movie starring sylvester stallone samaritan wait up wait up what are you doing with all this junk? Keeps me busy. Another long night of crime and violence. Some say it's only a matter of time before the city implodes. I think we're finished here. Go on, beat it. I found him. Samaritan. Samaritan died 25 years ago. That's what they say. You think you live across from a superhero? Do you have a therapist, kid? Kid. Samaritan's dead. I pick up garbage for a living, pal. Samaritan cleaned up the streets. <laughs> you mind your business, I'll mind mine. Okay. I'm cool. How strong are you? Not as strong as I once was. Things start to fall apart when you stop caring. And I stopped caring a long time ago. How come you hate who you are? For some people, it's too late to change the damage they've done. He's hiding something. I want him dead. Really? The things you bury tend to haunt you. Why did you disappear? Now, this movie is directed by Julius Avery, and it's written by Braggy F. Schutz, and it's starring Sylvester Stallone, Javon Walton, Palou S. Beck, Dasha Polanco, and Moises Arias. And so, Samaritan is something that just recently premiered, actually, on Prime Video. Saw the trailer a couple of weeks ago, and it piqued my interest. I'm a fan of Sly, and it's obviously, you know, based on comic books in, in a sense it's, it's a superhero story so it's telling the story of a superhero and kind of a retired superhero and what that looks like in this in this in this new society and so I was interested to check it out and you also talked about checking it out and I can just start here with just some brief general thoughts about this movie because I frankly don't have that much to say <laughs> Samaritan is um it, it's not great it's not a good movie y'all it's just unfortunately not a good movie I did expect more coming out of this just based off of who was involved. You know, again, I like Sly and I like the fact that he's tackling a superhero story in that respect. 
him being of, of his age, you know, being in his 70s at this point, playing a superhero, you have to question, you know, what's the motive there? Is he just trying to hop on the bandwagon of these superhero stories that we're getting all across media nowadays? Is he just trying to find his place in all of this? Maybe so. It's also interesting because he did play Judge Dredd back in the 90s, which was not a good movie. We got a much better Dredd movie about a decade ago. Um, he played Judge Dredd first. So he he's had a crack at the superhero stuff before, but unfortunately... This is not something that that pays out and, and pans out to be anything of a, of a success in my mind. I just found the story to be very simple and formulaic. I thought that the effects and the CGI were pretty bad at times and didn't work. Some of the action was okay. If it was basic action, like some of the hand-to-hand combat was okay, but it was mostly it was mostly simple stuff, stuff that you've seen before, nothing really innovative. And also, one of the biggest glaring things that stood out to me that was actually a big problem was the fact that for a large chunk of this movie, there's just not enough Sylvester Stallone. He's gone for quite a lot of it. And I thought that that was an odd choice considering how much of a legend and a star he is. Now, Sly isn't what he used to be, not in the 80s. You know, he, he's not at his peak, right. obviously, anymore. But he still can be the centerpiece of a movie. He's, he's done it. He, he's still making Expendables movies. So right. that's still in his toolkit. And so I just found it to be quite interesting that we were spending so much time with some of these supporting characters. And I think that that actually worked against the movie a lot. If you maybe put him in front of the camera more, that probably would have aided you. And the villain is also weak. So that doesn't help. The only real thing that I really liked about this movie that kind of helped save it for me is the fact that there's actually a twist that I did not see coming at the end of it. There's a very surprising thing that happens at the end that kind of took me off guard that I didn't expect to see. The problem is, is that it comes so late in the game that it doesn't really change your perspective on the character. And so I found that to be a little disappointing in terms of the placement. So that being said, not something that I really enjoyed, not something that I can necessarily recommend. Overall, I think that uh, Samaritan was just kind of one of those experiences that I almost instantly forgot about it as soon as I turned it off. So left me pretty disappointed mm-hmm. at that, at that, at that end. Um. So... I uh I fell asleep in the first ten minutes. I'm be honest. Uh, <laughs> there was like this monologue thing happening with the kid, and I was I don't know. It just I I did not make it <laughs> very far into this film. But uh I, I I will say it is a little disappointing to hear. Um, still that I don't know. Sylvester Stallone man is is. I don't. It, it sounds like you know outside of you know a couple of hitters, he hasn't really been like. Hit, I don't know, making the greatest movies, right? Between the Rambos and like, uh, uh, shoot, some people don't even like a lot of the Expendables, <laughs> Expendable kind of movies. Um, and for like, I think his highest rated movie. This is crazy, by the way. His highest movie movie on, uh, I think Rotten Tomatoes now is um, Creed. I think, which is crazy to think about. That that's like, damn, <laughs> you're Sylvester Stallone, and Creed just came out, um, kind of type thing. But I. I don't know. I just I just feel like at a certain time, I wish legends always got the privileges of straight good movies after a while, you know, like I always feel like, I don't know, like after freaking 75, maybe 70 after 70, it just feels like every movie should be good from there on out. And it's not always the case. You know, that can't happen. But especially somebody like a Sylvester Stallone, that's what I always look like uh, or look for. So it's it's sad that that isn't the case. But at least he's working. I'll say that. A lot of a lot of people, you know, don't have the bil- ability or the will to work at, at the age that, you know, Sly is at now. And so just happy that he's here, low key. Um, but again, unfortunate that the movie 
couldn't 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 hold up. Yeah, he makes some interesting choices. Like I find I find when he works in pieces that he does really good stuff these days now, like in the twilight of his career, like when he shows up in the Suicide Squad as King Shark. Really love the voice work that he does there, the stuff that he did in Guardians 2. So those moments, mm-hmm. or even just like playing that supporting role in Creed, and Creed is phenomenal. So not a surprise that that is like his highest rated movie. But as you said, it comes so late into the game for his career when he's mm-hmm. been around since the 70s. Exactly. You know, he's had, a, he's had a tremendously long career in Hollywood, but he's always been the actor who knows who he is. He's been an action icon of the 80s, right? He had that long feud with Arnold Schwarzenegger where he put out, you know, these crazy over-the-top action movies. He would do Tango and Cash and do the Rambo movies and then have Rocky Mm -hmm. come out every other, you know, few years or so. So he certainly had his place in Hollywood and he's still trying to Mm -hmm. occupy that space in doing action films, but we just don't really even live in a time anymore of action movie stars. Like, it's really just Tom Cruise. That's that's kind of it. Everybody else doesn't really have it. And Jason Statham has like a little slither too, I would say. Mm-hmm. He still manages, when he works with the right directors, he still manages to carve out a space. So like, when you get those Expendable mov- movies, which I actually enjoy, except three. I like them. I like them. Th- three's bad, <laughs> but one and two, I like them. Um, they know what they are. They're pulling all these previous legends from yesteryear to, to put them together for their own epic crossover in a sense. Mm-hmm. But we just don't have really a space for just like, action icons to really make movies that are going to penetrate the culture in that way even when they try to revive franchises that are super old you know it doesn't always Mm -hmm. work like creed is a very rare example but that recent rambo Mm -hmm. movie not great you know he he tried to go back to the well there not great terminator from arnold schwarzenegger the, the last one was good but nobody saw it you know so it's one of those things where it's like I don't think people even have an appetite for it anymore. So it, it mm-hmm. to your point, it is unfortunate, but he is working, absolutely, as you said. And um, I would also just say his two daughters have a podcast, which is actually, like, really, really good. This is, like, so random, but if anybody mm-hmm. needs, like, a new podcast to listen to, except ours, of course, like, Two Black Nerds, you should be listening to us already. But <laughs> his two daughters have a podcast, which is actually really, really cool. And he was a guest on the podcast at once at one point, and it's interesting to see him in that in that light as a father, you know, different than him being this big machismo guy all the time. But anyway, those are our thoughts on Samaritan. Unfortunately, not that great of a movie. But if you did check it out on Prime Video this past week, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're going to transition to the next portion of the show and talk about Marvel and D23 because D23 is coming up this upcoming weekend. We know that Marvel Studios and really Disney as a whole, all the live action film studios have space carved out at D23 to talk about future film projects, future Disney Plus projects. This is going to be the first real big splash, I think, for Disney as a whole since the last D23 that they did in 2019. They've had Investor Day, of course. We know Marvel is coming fresh off of the heels of Comic-Con, which was pretty epic earlier this summer. But D23 is another opportunity for them to talk about future projects and what they have coming up in the pipeline. And I'll just first start off and say before we talk about predictions and what we expect to see is that, you know, we did get a lot of Comic-Con, probably more than we anticipated getting. So it might be important to manage our expectations coming into D23. I don't know if we're going to get the same breadth of announcements, but they will have stuff. They've done it before. They have announced things. But we also know that there's quite a lot of spaces open, too, because at Comic-Con, Kevin Feige, when he pulled up the Phase 6 graphic after he walked through Phase 5, we only got three projects announced out of Phase 6, which left eight open spots. And so we know Jeez. that Fantastic Four is coming November 2024. We know Avengers The Kang Dynasty is coming May 2025. And then later that year, in November of 2025, Avengers Secret Wars is coming. 
But there's eight other spots that was on that graphic that were left completely blank. Which means there's tons of opportunity for projects to potentially be announced this weekend. So we're going to do a little mm-hmm. exercise. We're going to just talk about our predictions, what we think might get announced, and just make some bold predictions. Some things I think we might just see coming just due to what's circulating in the trades and rumors and things of that nature. But also, it might just be an opportunity to just throw out some wild predictions there as well. So um, before you talk about any specifics, what are you just hoping for in general? Do you think that they're going to make as big of a splash as what we got with Comic-Con? Do you think that they have to? At this point, is that even necessary, or will they mm. keep it more of a limited showing and maybe focus on the D- Disney Plus side of things, since that is becoming such a priority for the company as a whole? I think at Comic Con, it was more of a let's make a loud statement. I think D twenty three is like now let's iron out a couple of details. That's what I feel like, at least in the Marvel side. I feel like that's kind of what's going to end up happening. Um, I think we'll get. You know, some of those more, this is our director, this is our cast, or this is our... Which, is for some people, that is a bigger splash, right? True. Like, if... Yeah, if, um, and, and it really just depends on the way, you know, you decide to look at it. And so, I think, you know, coming into D23, I'm I'm excited either way. I like details. We like details, you know? We're the kind of guys that's like, okay, who's directing? <laughs> who's the who's the cast? And, and I think we'll get some of that stuff as well. But I don't see too many more, like oh my god announcements because i feel like comic-con was like the place for the most part to do some of those things i think they're saving one thing for d23 that's like okay this is what we're getting out of d23 this is the one big thing they're like oh okay we'll because just the way d23 works is in my mind comic-con of course still comic-con you go in you make a splash but now d23 is just like okay this is our own thing we gotta have something and so I feel like they are going to have that that one thing that's going to get us um, and get the people talking. That's really what also the whole point of D23 is. is like, of course, to show people what's going on, but more so to get people talking about Disney. That's what drives up Disney Plus numbers. That's what makes people want to go to theme parks. That's what makes people get butts and seats for theaters. You know what I mean? There's a lot of talk um, at the end of the day. And so that I think that's what's going to end up happening is really just how however you look at it. I think they're going to be making uh, a decent splash either way. It's always just interesting, too, because we live in this time where companies are creating their own conventions and their own expos like Star Wars Celebration exists. DC Mm -hmm. fandom. We're actually going to talk about that a little bit later when we get to news. D23 has been around for a while now. So the catered audience audiences, I should say, that, that, that are being catered to at these respective events is also kind of vastly different. You know, Comic Con is like the biggest con you can possibly go to in san diego hundreds of thousands of people go there in anticipation for everything that they'll see especially when it comes to that hall h panel whereas d23 is a little bit more curated it's a little bit more of a focus experience obviously to attend d23 you have to be a member for the d23 fan club there's a whole process to that and i also find that d23 is probably a little bit more family friendly if i had to assume they could subvert that and go in a completely different direction especially if one of my picks comes true but i i would i would Assume that this is more of a family-friendly event because outside of Marvel, they're going to be talking about Pixar and Lucasfilm mm-hmm. and the theme parks and games. Like This is really right. a company splash. We're just focusing on Marvel now, but there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes out from all of these studios. And, and in terms of what Marvel does in particular, I do think that the focus here is actually going to be on the Disney Plus side of things, especially because there's a lot of question marks there. And I also think that they're going to focus more on one of the things you said casting directors filmmakers behind these projects i think we'll get some confirmations 
on that stuff, like the filled in details of those things, which for me is more interesting. I know a lot of people don't mm-hmm. think that like some for you know, many people probably also listening to this, the name and the date itself is enough. And that is enough in a lot of cases. But I want to know who's behind these projects. I want to know like what mm-hmm. type of style that we might get with some of these things that we're going to see. And so I think we'll talk a little bit about that, too, when we go through our picks. So let's get to it. Let's talk about it. Let's not waste any more time again. We have eight open dates here, so we're just going to assume that they make eight announcements. They could make more. (laughs) They could make less. They could make two announcements for all we know, but just for the sake of this game we're playing, we're going to go through eight. They also have the dates lined out, too, from that graphic. It's fall 2024. Two fall 2024s, in fact. A winter 2024. Two spring 2025 dates. Two summer 2025 dates. And a winter 2025 date. Now, for the purposes of this, I don't think we have to be specific about what goes where. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Although... Some of these might indicate what might actually fall on when, because we know they're doing like more holiday specials mm-hmm. and stuff of that nature now. But I don't think that really matters. But let's start off, um, and I can actually start here, because I think that this is probably a shoe in just based off the fact that it didn't happen at Comic Con. I expect we're gonna mm. find out something about Armor Wars because what the hell? Like we mm. heard nothing at Comic Con mm. about that. We know that it was previously announced, and it was nowhere to be found on the Phase Five slate. So I'm just assuming probably it got moved to Phase Six, maybe early Phase yeah. Six. So I think Armor Wars is probably a lock on what we'll hear because i believe also the showrunner of that series after comic-con and people were questioning like well what's going on with this i think he came out and said like it's in safe hands like it's still happening it's moving forward just wait there will be details so i'm just going to assume that those details will come in d23 yeah i'm also just looking forward to you know don Cheadle potentially leading the show because <laughs> how often do we get that either <laughs> kind of type thing so I'm, I'm excited for armor especially you know me the riri of it all too i think that'd be really cool um, if if she found some mentorship, if Riri Williams found some mentorship in in uh, Don Cheadle, so I think that's really cool. I man, I I still have a feeling that we're gonna get a, something about Deadpool three. I don't know what that is yet, particular in particular. But remember, we were looking forward to that um, going into Comic Con. We were like, if you really want to make a splash, Deadpool is gonna happen somewhere. And I still think they're trying to figure out where Deadpool fits. Time wise, I think I think they've done the work in their minds tonally. Like we had the conversation about that, but now I think they're like, okay, now what? And what point of time do we come up with this movie and make it make sense <laughs> for everybody? So I I don't know where again where it fits, but I'm hoping we get something from Deadpool three. Deadpool three would be a big bomb too. That would also be unexpected. I have that as one of my picks as well because we know that they're working on it. They're in active development. Ryan Reynolds has talked about it. They have writers. They have a director. It's in motion. It's just a matter of when is it going to come? Is it going to come in like one of those phase six dates or is, is it going to come even later than that? Um, but I, I, I do expect like if they want to get people talking, Deadpool three would be the one to hold for D23 because they did give us so much at Comic-Con. They gave us two Avengers movies, which you don't mm. want to overwhelm us, you know, or maybe they do. They probably get get off on that. But I think if you want to save like a huge announcement, like Deadpool 3 is also like one of those things is like, this is kind of like one of those big heavy guns. We'll get a date. We'll get, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever the case may be, you know, maybe even like the official title of the movie. If it's not just like simply Deadpool three, maybe some additional casting news too, like some supporting members yeah. who the villain might be stuff like that. So I'm hoping something Deadpool three happens. It's been so long since two, like we're going on almost five years at this point since that one. So it'll be nice to at least have a roadmap to the next one. Um, my next prediction, I'm actually going to go to the movie side of things. I think just based off of the fact that people are like leaking stuff and can't keep their mouth shuts. I think we're probably going to hear about Eternals 2. I think that's going to be like mm-hmm. announced, maybe dated, probably phase three. 
it doesn't feel like it fits anywhere in a phase two. I feel like they, I actually believe that they gave us everything for phase two. I don't think that they're with, mm-hmm. or not phase two. Why don't I just go back to 2014? I don't think that they're holding anything <laughs> back from phase five. Excuse me. I don't think they're holding anything back from phase five. I think that they actually gave us everything that they intend to release. Stuff may move, yes, mm-hmm. but I feel like phase six is the place for this to to actually occur because, one, it can certainly help set up what they'll do with the Avengers Secret Wars movie. And then also, I think naturally, mm-hmm. like Chloe Zhao, this cast, they're going to need some time to get this off the ground, like another, like, probably two and a half, maybe even three years to get this off the ground just to get everybody coordinated with their schedules and how long it actually took to make that first movie. But I think Eternals 2 is probably a lot to happen, too. You know, it's funny you say that because I actually have a small timeline in my head, and it's ridiculous. This would be the most ridiculous year for Marvel ever. <laughs> It'll make VFX people mad. Uh-oh. Yeah. But so I actually think so. Was it summer 2025? I think the first slide is Eternals 2. I think the second slide is the Young Avengers. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, yikes. That's two team-up movies back-to-back. I know. And I say that because I don't think they'll use it as a like super classic team-up movie. I think they'll use it to get them together and then use them in Secret Wars the correct way to be the team to go get them. Holy shit. <laughs> and so I know it sounds like a lot, but because of the Young Avengers of it all in comics... It just, I don't know, it adds up just slightly more to me if, like, there needs to be, in between the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, there's got to be more. Between, something got to happen. You know, something. Yeah. Something has to happen. It can't just be like, oh, here's a couple of projects in between those two. It's like, no. Somebody's getting messed up in Kang Dynasty, just like Infinity War. <laughs> somebody's stuck somewhere. Somebody's dying. Got to have a team to come get them. And I don't think we're going to get the traditional Avengers. I think we're going to get, of course, a different team, right? We have to. But, like... Something just tells me, again, because of the comicness of it all, Young Avengers needs to be involved. Um, and maybe it's not even a Young Avengers movie. Maybe it's some other, I don't know. Maybe it's the person who's going to lead the Young Avengers. Maybe it's like some crazy Kate Bishop movie. or I don't know what it is, but I feel like something has to happen right before Secret Wars that's like, okay, this makes sense. And for me, in my head, Young Avengers, a movie, makes sense. Again, it doesn't have to be like, Avengers 2012 it don't have to be, it doesn't have to be that movie and 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 I think that's why it's it would make sense for it to be on a, a such a lower scale than what we've seen but bringing them together in the movie hmm, that doesn't sound as hard or as visual effect intensive um and so I it, it just I think it would be something cool uh to have let me ask you a follow-up question because I, I had Young Avengers as a pick too. I'm thinking Disney Plus as a series, but it, it could be a movie. But mm-hmm. this question, as I ask you, this is gonna you know kind of throw all that out the door. Do you think it's possible that Avengers: The Kang Dynasty could be moonlighting as a Young Avengers movie? Like, what if the Young Avengers mm. are the Avengers in Avengers: The Kang Dynasty, and that's the setup that occurs? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's very interesting and the reason i actually love that idea too is the secret invasion of it all <laughs> the secret invasion of it all could absolutely set that up um in order to like you said that would be the avengers and so yeah i don't know i think i think marketing is important there eventually like what if it is called event like what if there is some kind of splash and you're like surprise the name of the movie is really young avengers of the k dynasty <laughs> i, I 
that actually would get a huge reaction out of me. Yeah. Like, I think that's really cool if they were to do something like that. Uh, but yeah, man, I think that's a good idea. Uh, I think both are pretty valid, though. I can't take that away from you either. So I'm like, you know, I'm kind of both minds now. I, I think that's really dope. So we'll have to see. I, I, I would truly be surprised if nothing about Young Avengers is talked about at D23. Like, I would be... I'd be shocked Something. because yeah, of absolutely. just what they've done in these films and these series. Like they've introduced so many younger iterations of these characters in almost every phase for a project from Thor mm-hmm. to uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier to Loki to mm-hmm. WandaVision. Like it's, it just all seems there. And so to just not do anything with it by phase six seems just kind of weird. So I feel like it's almost it has to be like a lock. I, w- I would be really shocked. Um, I'll, I'll throw out another Disney Plus one because. I mean, we've heard about this. I think we might have even talked about mm-hmm. it on the show. I can't remember. I don't really know what this is, just to be frank, because this is like a obscure character. But I think we're probably going to hear something about this Wonder Man Disney Plus series. Like mm-hmm. that feels like very likely they've been talking about it recently in in the rumor reports and things of that nature. I think that they're getting close to actually casting somebody. I saw I saw something floating around that it might be Nathan Fillion, although he seems a little old for this role. Um, no offense to him, but he seems a little yeah. bit. He's a little bit long in the tooth. I don't know if he makes sense for Wonder Man, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think I think that they're moving closer and closer to this series happening because I believe it was the Hollywood Reporter or Deadline or somebody that said like, "Oh yeah, they're doing this." And so I would I would naturally say like Disney Plus is a priority. I think that they're going to announce like more Disney Plus series, especially because we don't really know the state of like season twos of these series outside of Loki. We don't know if these things are having multiple series, and so if they continue with the mm-hmm. trend of like just doing new limited series all the time, I think Wonder Man probably fits in there. Yeah, kind of, you know, uh, uh, I think echoing that's the Disney Plus of it all, man. First of all, I think Wonder Man, again, I've been hearing a lot about it, too. So I was like, yeah, probably we'll hear something, um, which I think is so interesting because who the hell knows anything about Wonder Man? <laughs> not me. <laughs> I'm not one of them. I have no idea what this guy does or anything. Um, but I think kind of in, in that same vein, I think it's it's time, bro. We ha- It's time to hear something about Werewolf by Night. Mm, mm-hmm. We've heard about it. We've circled it. The whole Moon Knight show has come out. Like, <laughs> where is the werewolf by night? Um, and especially, again, that small, we get a very, 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 very small Easter egg. I think it was in No Way Home where they talk about Carmitage and Full Moon or something. I forgot what it was. But it was like, oh, yeah, werewolf by night. And I just feel like it's it's time for them to give us uh, uh, something spooky season in werewolf by night. So I think the Disney Plus of it all, I think they'll, they'll say something about it, hopefully. If not, they'll... I, even the optimist in me is them being like, surprise, it's ready to go. <laughs> I'd be like, bet. The spooky season's right here. Um, and so uh, I, I just think that'd be cool. A surprise release would be dope. It would be very different for them to just like, you know, mm-hmm. announce something so close to the possible release date because it was reported that it was going to come out this year, like not something that was pushed off. I didn't pick it initially like as, a, as an actual pick, but I, I do agree that if it does come out indeed this ha- Halloween season, like you have to say something now. Like we have to see a trailer damn near by the time D twenty three happens this weekend because you want to start mm-hmm. promoting it if 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 you intend to do it in that in that particular way. But yeah, I, I think that that's probably a, a reasonable thing to to assume. Um, just continuing with the vein of things. I mean, th- I, I won't say that this is like an official pick, but I just want to mention like the Guardians holiday special has to show us something. Like we have to see something from yeah. that. I think. Mm-hmm. a poster a trailer something i don't know it doesn't have to be huge i don't think they'll have like a big splashy rollout for it because it is only september they typically promote mm-hmm. these disney plus series about two months out so 
we could see like some 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 synergy between Werewolf by Night and Halloween and Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, you know, two months later in Christmas. But I think we probably at least get like an official release date. They'll tell us like, oh, yes, by the way, we talked about this. It's going to come out Christmas Day or whenever they decided to drop it. Right. Um, but I, I do think we get something there. But my next official pick, I'm gonna go back to the movie side of things again. Just sort of using like process of elimination, what I think is seems natural, although I could be wrong, but what seems natural just based off of what we have heard so far, I feel like we're probably going to get official confirmation and maybe even a release date for Shang-Chi 2. I think that that's probably Absolutely. on the table. It was confirmed that this movie is moving forward from Deadline, I believe, who broke the news. Initially, Destin Daniel Crichton was going to return to direct as he did with the first movie. We now know that he's directing the Kang Dynasty, so they will have to find a new director, which is not a huge problem. But I do think that finding a release date for this movie makes sense. And so as another sequel to a very successful movie that came out last fall, I think that this just makes sense to find its place in phase six to to add another another story and another iteration for that particular character. Because he will be a member of the Avengers. And so I feel like if there's some connective tissue between his film and potentially these other projects, as you said, maybe even those Avengers movies, it just kind of naturally, I think, makes sense within the the complete story that they're trying to tell with this multiverse saga. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, man. It's it's also, you know, just in the spirit of, of sequels within the MCU, it's like, oh, yeah, we know what's coming. So it's time just for it to be announced, you know, kind of type thing. Even the same way we talk about Eternals. It's like, yeah, it's coming. We have these empty dates. <laughs> it's probably in there somewhere, you know, in, in the spirit of that. Um, but I'm very excited for Shang-Chi, too. Um, I think, like you said, he'll be an Avenger very, very soon. And seeing where he fits at fits in that puzzle piece, uh, I think it's just super interesting, um, to be honest. I think maybe, uh, I think I'm, I'm going to go back to the Disney Plus of it all, just because we, for some reason, didn't get a date. But um, was it the mutants? The mutants, right? we, Or for oh, like X Men, uh, like actual? Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. You, oh, I, I, I wasn't expecting that. That's <laughs> why so I had to pause. I was like, wait a second, we're going all the way to the X Men. Um, yeah, 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 but it's the, the animated series, right? Oh uh, yes, yes. Well, they gave like a seasonal sort gave, of like yeah, like a kind of it's going to yeah, be over like here. fall twenty twenty three or something we'll like that. More, I just think we'll get more details about gotcha. that. That's all. Yeah. That's kind of like a, a very subtle subtle pick um that i was thinking about i was like do we know exactly <laughs> when that's coming out and i don't i don't remember seeing like that we remember that was coming out i'll give you one on the movie side that's like another splash and the reason it's here is because the guardians of it all or the galacticness of it all right eternals is we know it exists we know guardians exist it'd be really cool if nova's in here somewhere i don't know where ah uh, yeah yeah i don't know I where listed too but it's also just like us uh, kind of feeling about that time <laughs> to start discussing Nova kind of type thing. Um, especially, I mean, we've been with the Nova Corps for enough. Now, right. You know what I mean? To be like, clearly, this is where this guy um, exists. And so I, I don't know exactly how it fits in or where it fits in. But it would be just cool if they were like, they actually don't even have to say it's any of these dates. Look, y'all, Nova is happening. End of announcement. And I'd be like, bet okay i'm okay with that information so we'll see well to your point i think it's actually well stated because as we're going through these picks if we really if we really think about it we haven't talked about the introduction of a new character yet 
And they always introduce new characters every mm-hmm. single phase, even even if they're telling a larger story. Like Nova could be the second last movie of Phase Six for all we know. Maybe it is, nice. but they always mm-hmm. manage to introduce a new character because they want to establish their future. Younger Avengers doesn't count because we've seen them all before. Wonder Man he'll count, but he's on the Disney Plus side. When I think it comes to the movies, you might be onto something there to have a solo Nova movie, and that feels more like a movie because it is more galactic. It is more of a, yeah. a space adventure. So I think you need I need you you need that proper size and that proper scale to tell that story, and just the fact that I feel like we need more new characters introduced here mm-hmm. on the big screen. Disney Plus, I don't, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a little upset that Disney Plus has kind of been relegated to the place that holds all the new character introductions, if I'm being honest. Like, Moon Knight, Miss yeah. Marvel, and She-Hulk dropped this year on Disney Plus. And it's like, hmm, maybe two of these could have benefited from being a movie mm-hmm. and getting, like, bigger respect from that perspective. So I'm hoping we can get back to that trend of, like, having a few movies here and there introduce new characters as to as opposed to Disney Plus being such the focal point for introducing new new characters. But speaking of Disney Plus, I'll give off my... I don't even know where we're on. It doesn't matter. Um, I'll give my my next pick, what I think probably may happen. I'm, I'm, this, is, this is probably a far guess because we still might be a ways away from this and the timing just might not work out considering like the movie's coming out in November. But I think we might hear something about like the World of Wakanda series, the Okoye mm, series, yep. like whatever that's yeah. supposed to be, this Black Panther spinoff. I think we may get something there. It could either be a really intentional moment with the timing to announce this before we see Black Panther Wakanda forever, or they can just completely sidestep this as to not take away from the attention of that film and just wait to announce this at a later date. Either is very possible, but I I just decided to throw this on here because I think that 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 was something that was initially floated and talked about as something that they were planning to do. We know Ryan Coogler has a big, big, massive deal with Disney to stay in this world and to continue to develop projects. And so... I think it would kind of be cool to actually like let off something about Wakanda and Okoye if it's about her specifically before we even see the movie because we can then go into the movie like, oh, we know when we're going to see her next. We know that this is going to happen in, you know, two years or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I I was also on my list. Like, really, everything you just said, Wakanda something, Okoye something. I just, I feel like, you know, we knew we knew a show like that was going to exist eventually. And so I, I actually really like your point. Like, will this be announced before a, a movie like comes out? You know, because not necessarily like it's like spoilery, but you know what I mean. Like, if you name the show Okoye, right, yeah. you're like, oh, Okoye is not going to die in this movie, <laughs> kind of type thing. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, it'd be cool if they maybe just said it'll be a Black Panther show. You don't even got to say the title or anything, you know. And so, I definitely again that was on my list as well. Um, so good points there. I have a very small feeling that my next pick <laughs> is not a, I don't know. I have a feeling it could be a movie, but they're not going to make it a movie. Um, and it's Midnight Suns. Oh. I, I, have, <laughs> I, I have a feeling after the daredevilness of it all, by the time, you know, we've ingrained that, you know, we, we've, we've, Blade would have already been done. You know what I'm saying? We've already got the Moon Knight TV show. Doctor Strange is wherever the hell Doctor Strange is. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, I just sort of feel like it'd be cool to get a Midnight Suns. Really anything. I, of course, would rather a movie. Of course. I mean, the actors. Wow. Charlie Cox. Freaking. Benedict Cumberbatch. Mahershala Ali. 
Uh, Crazy. What's 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 Dane Whitman's name? I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Oh, John uh, 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 or John Snow, I should say. It, it, the, the <laughs> crazy cast, as you said, that would be an insane lineup yes. of people in one movie. And it's like, how could you not make a movie out of that, right? But part of me just, I don't know, it's had this feeling that they don't, they're not going to put that energy into it like they would of an upcoming Thunderbolts, like they would an upcoming, I don't know, it just feels like. I don't know. The energy surrounding it doesn't doesn't give movie how I want it to give movie. Mm. Could it? After time has passed, absolutely. If B- Blade comes around next year and they're like, "Well, we got to do a movie now," I'll feel differently. But right now, just in the lineup of things and how much craziness and team ups are happening, right? If a Young Avengers is to happen, it, when Thunderbolts does happen, it's like, damn, it's a lot of team ups on the big screen. I feel like if they decided to put Midnight Suns on the on the TV, I would be like, okay, I see why. Do I agree? Probably not, <laughs> but I see why you did it. So that's kind of like a crazy ass off the left world kind of pick. There. Midnight Suns would be absolutely epic if they announced that. I would be, I'd be so elated, especially if it was a movie. More so if it was a movie, I, I would, I would be absolutely. pretty upset if it was a TV series, just based off of how they've been running their TV series. But if it was a movie, my goodness, they. I mean, listen, it's very possible. We we've seen them test out various ip and other mediums before they give them the big screen treatment you know and we know that that midnight suns game is on the horizon you know that could just be mm-hmm. another litmus test for how people feel about these characters before they decide to adapt it also kevin feige sure. has a bigger hand in all of that stuff he's directly dealing with the comics and the publishing and the you know the tv so mm-hmm. he he could certainly be playing those seeds I, I don't think that that's the craziest thing ever but it would it would get a huge reaction out of me personally um before we talk about the elephant in the room, because we're circling it, because it's yep. there. Any other like smaller it's projects, it. other like quick <laughs> things before we talk about like what the big thing is that, that just feels so likely to happen? Um, nah, we just it's just so interesting to be in this spot where it feels like a lot of sequels are in the air. You know, Doctor Strange ends that's in the air. Thor five or Thor five could be in the air somewhere. We know that could exist in later phases, so it'll just be interesting to see. How a lot of these characters get interwoven in a, such a different way than a phase one through three, than Infinity Saga in general happened because of the vast, uh, uh, just vastly different spots everyone is in. And you and we know, like, these movies aren't close. You know what I mean? Like, I can, I feel very confident in being like, Doctor Strange 3 will not happen in, in the next two phases. Right, yeah. Um, and so it's like, damn, so where is he going to pop up? Kind of type thing. I just think that's interesting about uh, all of this. And that also makes the MCU interesting because it's like Pickaboo, especially as they get better at weaving characters in to different parts of the MCU. Like America Chavez did not have to exist in the Multiverse of Madness, but she did. And I think that really speaks to how these phases exist in by way of comic book. And so just seeing where, where a lot of that stuff happens, I think is going to be interesting, especially if something we said comes to fruition, right? If like a I don't know. Like even in even we even in watching Black Panther, we know Riri's going to be there. Who knows where else she pops up in a different, you know? I don't, I just think it'll be it'll be really really interesting um in these upcoming phases, but that's it, man. Yeah, the only other thing I was going to quickly say um I I don't know if it's like a full-blown presentation. I I feel like Kevin Feige he he just might like casually mention it like on the in between, like, oh yeah, we're doing season twos of Miss Marvel, and we're doing a season two of Moon Knight. Like, I just feel like mm-hmm. that feels natural to just like confirm that that's happening. It, right. Again, it doesn't have to be a big splash. He can literally just say it. Oh, by the way, we're doing yep. season two of them because we we already know that these characters exist. They've already been introduced. Um, mm-hmm. We should talk about Fantastic Four. 
because yep. that is obviously there's a lot of heat around that. The movie's already been announced. It has a release date now. So all the pieces are almost there. The things that are not there, of course, are final official confirmation of a director. Mm hmm. It's very likely of who it is. It's going to be Matt Chapman, but I want to hear Kevin Feige say it's going to be Matt Chapman. <laughs> and then also, like, maybe even more importantly, probably the most important aspect, who the hell is playing these characters? There are so many rumors out there. We talked about Pim Badgley recently. A lot of names floating around for Sue Storm. Most notably, Jodie Comer is, like, the latest big, big name to float around a lot about Sue Storm. Seems very, very possible that she could be the case. Um, also, you know, of course, there's Human Torch there and the thing that still have to be officially slotted. There was also one report that came out, and I just want to throw this out there. This might not be, I don't, it, it doesn't have to be related to Fantastic Four, and all likelihood is probably not related to Fantastic Four, but it could be related to other things. Mm -hmm. But one insider apparently said that he, he has the knowledge that Marvel Studios has recently signed a lot of actors to a lot of deals. And these are some big I names, y'all. Um, crazy. Crazy list. Jody Comer is on that list, but also... John Boyega is on that list. Superman himself, Henry Cavill, is on that list. Daisy <laughs> Edgar Jones, John Krasinski is back on that list. Giancarlo Esposito made his way on there, and we've been talking about him a lot lately with X-Men stuff. And last but not least, this seems just so unlikely. If, if this was to be the case, I'd lose my shit. Denzel Washington was also thrown hey. in there. Um <laughs> so I don't know what to make of that. I just had to throw that in there just like for the sake of it. But if we talk about Fantastic Four specifically, what, if anything, do you think we'll see? Is it director? Is it cast? Is it anything else? Is it Doctor Doom comes into the fold? Like, what, if anything, you think we see out of Fantastic Four at D23? I want director and cast. I'm expecting in a couple of days from now to know the cast of Fantastic Four. I, <laughs> I just, it's just a really, again, we're talking about kind of splashes in D23. If you don't, if you don't announce any other big movies, I think that's a huge thing to to um, to get out there, man. Especially there's so many rumors, um, and you know between the the Pim Badgley of it all and the Jody Comer, I ain't gonna lie, those two by itself is <laughs> like let's do it right that's now. Heat. Um, heat. <laughs> that is fire, man. bro. I still think that woman's performance in the last duel is ridiculous to me, um, so underrated to me, but. Uh, it's just good casting to sound off. It's like, okay, if they're for real, for real, uh, that's going to make me excited. Like, that's all. I, I'm good. Um, of course, I want to hear the Human Torch and the, the Ben Grimm of it all, too. But that those are two just really good um, um, actors, I think, to fuel a lot, man. And so I, I'm just hoping to hear that. Like, maybe D23, they give it. The only, of course, nobody even has to be there. Like, give us some pictures of these people headshots that's all i need <laughs> in the, yeah, headshots <laughs> in the presentation like confirm for me <laughs> this they're gonna be in the movie they're gonna be in the movie i'm like okay bet i still don't think we're gonna dr doom i don't know why <laughs> i don't i don't know their play with dr doom that's i think that's the most interesting thing probably within these next couple phases for me personally what the hell what in the doom is going on i don't know Will they announce them on Saturday? I don't think so. If they did, I'd probably for real lose my shit compared to anything <laughs> else. I like, I they could announce something else. And I'll just be like, but that Dr. Doom news though. Like, did y'all hear about that <laughs> kind of sort of thing? I don't think we'll get that right off the bat, but whenever we do, it'll, it'll be something crazy. Um, so yeah, man, I think, I think more than anything, the cast and the director is like the shoe ins, but I, I'm still very skeptical. I don't think we'll get Doom anything for a while. I, I, I man, 
Fantastic Four, it's just right there. I mean, if they announced no other movie, if they talked about no other movie, it would have to be this one. I mean, we're only going to be about two years away from this movie actually coming out. They, they got to get the ball rolling, you know, and they have been working yeah. on it. It's not like they've been sitting on their hands with this film. And Matt Shagman is likely to be the, the director. I, I would expect to see him come out on stage at D23. But also, I, I agree, man, the cast, I'm ready to I'm ready to get that get that locked away so that we can just start. People can start making their graphics. Boss Logic, he can make his graphic and insert people's heads into the costumes yes. and create the the illustrations. Like I'm ready to see all of that, so we can just build the anticipation and get get us get us that final casting confirmation. Even with the other two, with Human Torch and the Thing as well, I think it's actually pretty likely that that'll be the case. It seems like that there's again a lot of heat around this right now, and it only makes mm-hmm. sense if 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 no other movie. Again, with the exception of the Disney Plus stuff, but if no other movie is to make a splash and to really own the show, this is the one to do it. Because they could actually, they could not talk about Deadpool 3 and talk about this, and I still think it's a win. I still think that if you announce the cast for this movie, and it's a good cast, because that's also important, then that'll be enough for people to talk about and, and walk away with thinking like, oh, this was a big success, so... I certainly think that that's the case. Um, quickly, what do you think about these other names? John Krasinski possibly coming back. Giancarlo, we talked about the rumors with the X-Men there. Who the hell does Denzel Washington play, if anybody, if that's really true? John Boyega, I, that kind of seems a little, I don't know. It doesn't seem like John Boyega wants to do franchise work anymore after the Star Wars debacle. <laughs> I don't really know what to make of this. I mean, Giancarlo seems like very much destined for X-Men. I don't know if it's Charles or if it's Magneto, uh, Eric. I, I don't know who it's going to be. But it seems like he's destined for one of those roles. Denzel, if that's to be the case, I'd be shocked. I'd be quite shocked. But if I had to pick, it's probably, mm-hmm. man, it's probably playing opposite of Giancarlo. Like, I would. <laughs> like, is he not playing, like, uh, the other flip side of that coin if Giancarlo's playing one of those leaders of the X-Men? Does Denzel Washington not take up the other? <laughs> that's nuts. My head is exploding as I'm saying it right now. I can't even, I can't even process that if, that if that turns out to be the real the real case here. Yeah, I lied. I would absolutely lose my shit even more <laughs> <laughs> if Denzel was playing opposite of Giancarlo Esposito, man. I I have no idea what to make of it. That's how crazy it is that I can't even begin to give you an answer for anything. I just know that these are some heavy hitter-ass people. I love the idea that Henry Cavill, if he got cast in something MCU, would be like, I don't know. It'll just get fuel to DC. Like, if y'all make this goddamn Superman film, like, this nigga is clearly moving on. Like, so pay attention. <laughs> like, I just, like, part of me wants that to happen so bad. Um, but, yeah, man, these are some... Uh, I, I still feel like Giancarlo, after the news we have heard, he met with them, blah, blah, blah. He does feel like the more, like, you're going to be in something. Yeah. It feels like. You know what I mean? The Denzel John Boyega of it all, I... <sighs> Who knows? Those are the like the in the wind, excuse me, kind of people. Like you, who's doing what now? Could it, could it exist? Absolutely, I can see Denzel playing just some somebody. I don't know. I'm I actually seen somebody say he could play like an older Kang. Like Denzel being an older Kang makes wow. a lot of sense. Which I fucking love actually, that. Actually, uh, blows my mind. Right, <laughs> it blows your mind. And I was like, oh shit, that's really fucking cool. Um. But also, imagine Henry Cavill is Doctor Doom. Like he's a like. Imagine this guy becomes like. Oh, he you go from Superman, <laughs> one of the most loved people, 
to Doctor Doom, one of the greatest villains that we've ever seen. I just think the story writes itself, and that would like also blow my mind. <laughs> so yeah, there's just a couple things that like got rattled around in my head when I seen some of this stuff, man. But it's it's crazy nonetheless. Cavill as Doom is insane to think about. He's huge. That is yes. He he has the look, it, it, the stature. It, it challenges him. Yeah, it, it challenges him. Yeah. He's, you got to go from Superman to Doom. That's two completely different people. It's just. Hey. hey, he was a great, great bad guy in Mission Impossible. So we know mm-hmm. he has he that was. darkness to him. I think that that abs- I mean, even with Superman, like he had to have some darkness because there were like mm-hmm. evil versions of that character that we saw come to the forefront almost. And so, wow, I actually really love that. I, I hadn't even considered that. I mean, we'll have to see Denzel. Also, Marvel has a history of taking very well-known legendary actors, too, and kind of placing them in. I don't want to say meaningless roles, but definitely like background roles like. We can't forget that, like, Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas are, like, Mm -hmm. just, like, hanging on the periphery of, like, the action, just chilling. (laughs) They just pop up, you know, they'll have a few minutes, don't have to do a ton, you know, it's it's one of those things. Like, Annette Bening was in Captain Marvel, like, she's a legendary actress, she had a minimal role. So, the Denzel Mm -hmm. stuff could mean slightly less if if it's one of those things, but one can certainly hope, and again, we just have to manage our expectations, but the future is limitless really when it comes to these announcements so we will have to see this upcoming weekend and maybe we will talk about it a little bit more in depth when we when we resume this upcoming weekend for d23 but those are our thoughts on the predictions and what we might possibly see out of marvel studios certainly we will recap all of this stuff and breaking down as we receive it with that being said let's transition to the news of the week we've got a few news items to talk about first up our fave nicole kidman is apparently coming back to do a sequel for the legendary, the iconic AMC advertisement that plays in front of all your movies when you go to an AMC theater. I know y'all see it on my story now every single week. Apparently, it's getting a sequel. The screenwriter of the first one, Billy Ray, <laughs> just came out with a statement because he was asked about it and said, I can't believe we're talking about this. And said, quote, I got a text from the chairman of AMC about a month ago asking me if I would write the next one. And of course, the answer to that is yes, it's already written, end quote. <laughs> and y'all don't know. How much this excites me because the Nicole Kidman ad has, uh, wh- what's the way to say it? It's taken on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. It's become surprisingly beloved over the course of, it's been about a year, maybe a year and some change since it's been around. Yeah. And they initiated this whole campaign really because of the pandemic. We were, you know, we were in dark days about a year, year and a half ago. People weren't going to the movies. Everybody was afraid. And so AMC had a I think a pretty brilliant and and, and well-intentioned idea to get Nicole Kidman to do this ad to talk about why the movie theater is so important, what it's like to go to the movies, the feelings that it evokes, and just how that there's no place better than sitting in a movie theater watching something for the first time with with a bunch of strangers, really, and having that communal Mm -hmm. experience. And um, it's turned into it's turned into really a moment that 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 that's pretty. It's pretty notable every time we go to the movie where uh, you, you sit in that theater, the lights go dark, you see Nicole Kidman pop up on the screen, and people <laughs> go fucking nuts. They clap, they cheer, they chant, they recite the words like they know it like the back of their hand. It's cra- it's, it's literally taking on a life of its own. And now apparently we're getting a sequel. What do you think about this? How do you feel, Nicole Kidman coming back, another AMC app? Because here they are. AMC theaters. <laughs> we make movies better. <laughs> they sure do. They sure do hey, with that damn ad. Hey, man. It's, I Like you said, I cannot believe we're talking about this. They're talking about a sequel to an ad. It's just blowing my mind. But I, I have to say, one thing I do love about it is just seeing people excited to be back in the movies. 
And so, uh, uh, like you said, I think it was a good idea for the ad to exist in the first place to explain to people and to get them to remember why they come to the movies. And so now it's even more interesting to see, like, are people going to be mad because the sequel comes out? Like, are they going to be like, damn, I want the other one back? You know, kind of type thing. Like, I, I wonder if they'll just end up reverting. Talk about the a misstep. Yeah, that would be crazy. Yeah, <laughs> but this is this is this is some really yeah, this is really interesting stuff, man. I didn't see this coming from a mile away. We didn't even re- the fact that it's popular as it is, and we've been in the theater and seeing people cheering is also crazy. I will also say that this is only as popular. I've only seen this really be popular here. Like when I go back home to KC, everyone just sits there and there's like no response to anything. But like here in New York, it's like, oh, no, it's lit every time, (laughs) especially if it's a blockbuster, right? Like if it's a Fast and Furious, if it's a Marvel movie, it's lit every time. And so I I, I don't know. I like that about it to get the crowd going. I like that. Like it's like, okay, we alive in here. I like that about it. And so seeing that a sequel's coming out, of course, it's wild to hear, but it's like, Okay, this is kind of cool at the same time. So we'll see what happens. There's no way they could have predicted it would turn into this. The, the the unintentional admiration that's developed. Like you say, New York, it's it's hot. It's a hot thing to happen in, in pretty much every showing I damn near go to now. A few exceptions mm-hmm. here and there. But for the most part, people get riled up. And I think it's probably the same in L.A. Like I, I've heard from people in L.A. say the same thing. So these bigger markets, like you said, it's a little weird that it doesn't mm-hmm. happen in, in some of the smaller markets. But that being said, I'm so happy. I can't wait to see whatever it looks like. But, but it has to be as good as this first one. If it's not, then we're just going to want that second one back. But it's telling because there have been some cases where the Nicole Kidman ad has been the best part of my movie going experience because the movie doesn't deliver. And that's really unfortunate <laughs> that we peak so early into the evening um, when that when that happens. But we'll see what it all looks like. Um, to talk about her, uh, her former, her former love, her former husband, Tom Cruise. I know you saw the video that was released from CinemaCon earlier this year showing this insane airplane stunt that Tom Cruise did. Now I I had heard about this. People, people Uh wrote about it online who attended CinemaCon. Obviously this is the con that theater exhibitors go to movie theater owners go to they get previews and sneak peeks and screenings of films to get them excited about the movie theater business to know what's going to be playing on their screens when the time comes and top gun maverick actually had its world premiere at CinemaCon this year and before the movie plays tom cruise because he's not in attendance at the con it was in las vegas he sends a video message but this is not like any other video message he's not sitting on a couch doing something via satellite or anything of that nature man's is on a plane (laughs) hanging outside of a plane like just freedom just complete freedom hanging off the side of a plane talking about the movies talking about how excited he is talking about him filming mission impossible dead reckoning and how that's coming out next summer and then he finishes it off with an introduction to top gun maverick and says see you at the movies and does like a insane barrel roll seemingly to his death but of course he survives and just like (laughs) continues on with his life i mean what the fuck is what's good with this guy like we've seen crazy stuff but to see something that was so real like it's not in the context of a film it's not on a big screen like we're just watching this on our phones now because they released the footage it's pretty Mm -hmm. harrowing to see what he's willing to put himself through to entertain us yeah this dude he's a psychopath bro like what the hell is really going on with this cat like we were talking about there's only a few superstars or like movie superstars left, right? Where you go see it for them and don't even care about what the movie's about. He has surpassed that. I don't even know what the next level is. Oh, yeah. He is League of His Own. He's Ultra Instinct. He has 
He's in another like he's whatever he's Gohan had in superhero. We can't even yeah, name it. Whatever that is, Dude, whatever that is, that's where he is at this point in time, man. Because, like you said, he did. This is an announcement. He wasn't like. <laughs> it wasn't like part of the trailer. <laughs> it wasn't like he was just like, "Hey, turn the camera on real quick, bro. I got something to say." And you know, most people, most people when they stun on people, they like in the car, a nice car. They got some money lined up or something. This man is doing flips on planes with his feet or whatever, bro. He's he's just crazy. He's insane. And so, man, he, we actually are living. We're we're in the presence of a movie god, bro. That's what he is. Tom Cruise should now be considered a movie god, and nothing else. And if you question me, I'm just going to assume you haven't been watching him for the last forever at this point now. Because, yeah, last forever at this point. Because this dude, is he's, he's that ridiculous. And he's that good at what he does, though, too. Like, I, you have to, we also have to realize that he has, like, not say provisions to do something that crazy. But you know what I mean? Like, the man has licenses to fly these things and to do all this stuff. Just, of course, it's for him. He enjoys doing this. But also just for us to enjoy movie experiences in the highest level of action. And the fact that he does that, man, I, I have I have nothing but the utmost gratitude and, and respect for Tom Cruise, man. He's, he's, he's one of the greatest. And there's no other question. That's the announcement. Man. That's not a part of the movie. <laughs> he said, turn the camera on. This is an announcement. Ridiculous, bro. I like Movie God because that that's really the stratosphere he's in now, and it's 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 great timing with Top Gun Maverick being the highest grossing movie of this year. This is largely why because people see the dedication this man has to his craft and and his willingness to go above, well above and beyond mm-hmm. any place that people would even dream of to entertain audiences. It's it's actually quite crazy, and he's in his sixties now officially, turning sixties this year, and had the biggest hit of his career and his kind of on top of the world he's really untouchable more so now than ever and so i mean what is the next decade for tom cruise looks like i i, I can't wait to see i got front row seats i'm gonna be there every single time and ready to see what he's willing to do for us but uh yeah crazy stunt to see nonetheless we got a new trailer winnie the Pooh, blood and honey <laughs> i really don't know what else to say about that but the fact that winnie the Pooh, blood and honey is uh it's a movie it's it's a whole movie that was filmed there's a director, there's writers, they have actors, there's locations, there's costumes, there's cinematographers. It's 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 a it's a it's a movie. It's a production. It's happening. I don't know what else to say about it besides that, but um they're doing this. They are making a um different take on this iconic character because apparently Wendy the Pooh is like public domain like anybody can interpret him it's like Sherlock Holmes it just happened it just happened oh it's recent oh so that's yeah I I remember reading about this I think it was like a year ago they were like public domain has ended for Wendy the Pooh so now somebody's gonna make a horror film and we just got the trailer (laughs) Somebody was waiting on this idea in this moment waiting. to happen. Like, I have it. <laughs> I have it. I have it ready to go. This is what's next for, for cinema. This is what we need right now. Jesus Christ. This shit looks so bad. It looks <laughs> it looks horrendous, y'all. I'm not going to lie. It looks so fucking awful. That I can't mince words on this. I just have to be honest. 
Will I see it though? Yeah, absolutely. I'm check. I'm seeing this. I'm gonna watch this. I have to. I have to see what this is. It's like Room, like the like the or the Room, whatever the whatever that movie was called that the Disaster Artist was based off. I think it was the Room. Oh yeah. Gotta see it now, just because of how egregious of a error this really might be in terms of pop culture. I, I don't really. I don't really have anything else to say besides that because I'm still kind of in shock and awe that 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 this movie's moving forward. I. The concept of taking like the cutest thing, <laughs> making it a whole slasher is insane. Winnie the Pooh, bro, like a hundred acre woods. Winnie the Pooh, like Piglet <laughs> and Tigger. Are there gonna be sequels? Is Tigger the, in the sequel? Is he the slasher after that? I, I, when I heard about it, I thought they were like kind of joking though. I was like, okay, it's public domain. You can do whatever you want. Like I think. Like, at some point, Little Mermaid became public domain. I don't know. You know, Disney always adapts, like, real-ass stories, right. which Little Mermaid is low. If you don't have read Little Mermaid, y'all, go actually read Little Like, it's some it's a dark-ass story. that Disney be lying to people. <laughs> um, but Winnie the Pooh, man, I I just I don't know how we got here. Is it shrooms? Is it, like, what drug was this man on to, to get here? I, I don't know. But does it look awful? Like you said, yes. Will you go? We go see it, like you said. Absolutely, I still have to watch it, no matter how ridiculous it is. Um, and I think I'm hoping that it looks bad, kind of for a reason. I know we were talking about like satire and stuff, but I'm like hoping like there's something else to it that we're not missing, and that it's not not the train wreck we think it is. That's very optimistic of me, I know. But I'm like, when you come up with a movie called Winnie the Pooh: Blood and Honey, there has to be you have to have some other idea besides Winnie the Pooh is a slasher. <laughs> it's like there gotta be something else there, and so. I'm just, I'm just, it's funny, like, even how bad it looks, I'm, like, excited to watch it now, because how ridiculous it looks. I'm like, damn, I can't wait to watch Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, because it just sounds, it's just that ridiculous. So, man, where, how do we get here? Well, you know, the filmmakers should be in on the joke, right? Like, they they should absolutely be playing a part in, like, oh, well, this is, like, this is the silliest thing we could possibly think of. That's, that's why we're doing it. And so, if, yeah, if they go down that route, then maybe maybe we'll be okay that might be optimistic but we'll we'll see maybe we'll be okay um in other news on the dc side of things we just found out that dc fandom will not be happening this year they are not moving forward with a 2022 edition of dc fandom they've done it twice already we talked about both of them on this show um from warner brothers discovery they said quote with the return excuse me with the return of in-person events warner brothers discovery is excited to be able to engage with our fans live at numerous comic cons around the world and will not be scheduling dc fandom for 2022 end quote yeah sure however y'all are also on fire right now which why would you have a convention highlighting movies that are just mired in controversy which is what i really think that this is all about uh there's a state of transition obviously the company's recently been bought out there's a lot happening, a lot changing, and just, frankly, a lot of uncertainty, too. Exactly. We just don't know how things are moving forward. And so, do they really want to have a DC fandom event after they just canceled an entire film, an entire Batgirl movie that really drew the ire of so many people online? Probably not a wise move, so I think that this was the smart decision to just, like, not hold it this year. Will it come back in the future? I don't know. Maybe. They could really mean that about going back to real in-person events. Mm-hmm partially that might be true but i also think a lot of it is just to protect their brand and to not expose themselves to any more potential controversy yeah i don't have much to add to that i think this is all very like why would you have a fandom when you don't even know what's gonna come out next year (laughs) you know what i'm saying like it's like can you even give the fans anything concrete at this moment like you said when you're on fire and so 
think they're just taking a step back, like you said. I do kind of like that small caveat that's like, maybe we'll return to in-person events. Because in my mind, that says, okay, right now we're going through it, but next Comic-Con, we might have y'all. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I do kind of like that small caveat that's like, okay, we we not going to always be gone. It's like, no, nah, we still going to have a presence at some point. So that's my hope. Um, yeah, and, and I think at the end of the day, this is all for the good, man. Taking a step back, reevaluating in order to reattack. So we'll 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 see how that news progresses throughout time. Certainly hope so. And in our last news item, it's also on the DC side of things. We talked about this recently, only just threw it in here because we just got an update. Um, Dan Lin, who was in talks to become the head producer and the chief over DC Films and TV, we talked a lot about that actually recently. Um, well, apparently it's not happening. He's not going to take the job. Um, sources close to the matter, they say that it all broke down because he already has commitments to his own company, Ryback. He didn't really want to relinquish, I think, control of that company and being a, a producer, a lead producer on so many different projects and having that wide variety of projects and turning into an executive, essentially, because that's what this role would largely be, somebody who's an executive mm -hmm. leading up the strategy and the plan for what they're going to do with DC Film and TV. Um, so they're kind of back to the drawing board, which, you know, sucks. You want somebody in there. You want plans and things to start moving, but better to figure it out than to rush it, I suppose. And so you want to get the right person. I did like him as a choice based off of what we talked about and his credits and his history. He's had some really, really positive successes and I think could have could have fit in pretty well. And he was also, he's also relatively young, too, which I think you need somebody with with still that 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 sense of youthfulness and that energy mm -hmm. that can come into this role to, to, to man up something that's going to be really, really, really huge for them. Um, but ultimately, it's not going to be Dan Lin. They'll have to find somebody else. So slightly disappointing, definitely a setback, but I guess better to get it right than to rush, rush ahead with it. Yeah, I think part of Dan Lin's mentality here, too, is Rideback has a lot of shit going on, especially, like, important shit. And I'll be a... I'm sure he'd be remiss if, like, one of those projects got sidelined because DC was so, you know, taxing and he needed um, um, that time to focus on that. Like, you said, if you if they're looking for a Kevin Feige and Dan Lin's like, I'm too distracted, it is what it is. You know what I mean? It is sad. Um, but I also understand Dan Lin, who I'm pretty sure Ryback is doing fucking Avatar Last Airbender. Absolutely go pay attention to Avatar The Last Airbender because I would be <laughs> yeah. asked personally. You know what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> <laughs> like go go do that like I, I get that um and you know he has again so many other things that is coming out under rideback so you know i can just i can just imagine him being like i want to do this this is my real passion project and him not being all in in dc but again a really really good ass prospect they had on their hands in dan lynn man because if you do go look at rideback stuff either the upcoming stuff or the stuff they've already made even that we've talked about in previous weeks is like you're pretty solid, bro. <laughs> like you're, you're you're doing your damn thing. So, um, sad to see him go, but maybe again beneficial for the other projects he has going on. Yeah, and I, I don't know this for sure, but he's probably always dreamed of being a producer, right? Mm -hmm. And that he's achieved it. He's doing it. He is yeah. producing very notable stuff, and to step away from that again to become an executive. Um, which which is different. It's very different in terms of how you have to manage that. It's not really a producerial capacity. There's probably an element to that where he would be attached as a producer, but I don't think it's as close as maybe he would have wanted. Mm -hmm. You know, I think uh, Kevin Feige, he's been able to be close to all this stuff because, I mean, he kind of built it all himself. You know, right. he was right there from the get-go. Dan Lin is 
inheriting something or he would have been inheriting something, mm-hmm. I should say. So I agree. I think prior commitments would Ryback not wanting to step away from that and sacrificing that that element of creativity to become an exec chief probably all led to this breaking down but we'll have to see who and who they end up choosing hopefully they get somebody really soon here but with that being said ladies and gentlemen that's all we have for this episode of two black nerds thank you again for tuning into another podcast we will be back of course later this week this upcoming friday to talk about she hulk attorney of law episode four as we have been doing each and every week we will be back to break down the latest episode of the marvel studios original series and we will be back again next week tuesday september 13th to talk about all the latest movies that we see we're going to go check out barbarian which is dropping in theaters this week we also going to talk about some other movies that have hit streaming recently including elvis which is on hbo max as well as orphan first kill which is currently streaming on paramount plus so we hope to review those and as usual we will be breaking down the latest episode of the game of thrones prequel house of the dragon so plenty to look forward to over the course of the next week but until then we'll see y'all next time with that being said y'all we're audi 5000 please check out our nerds of thunder collection at twoblacknerds.com this is the year 2022 black nerds and remember always bet on black appreciate y'all love y'all thank you for listening to another episode of two black nerds where we're too black too nerdy and we out y'all peace yeah.